Bob. Welcome back, guys. This has been a while since we've done a podcast, and we are back. And today I am joined with one of my good friends, Nathan Essery. He's the CEO of Treat Collective, correct? That's correct. How you doing, Nathan? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. Oh, thanks for coming, man. How was the bird hunt today? Oh, it was incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Ozark Wings, awesome outfit. Let's give a shout out to them guys. I, I will. Mean, they treat you well, right? They do. They, we've had the same guide the last three years in a row. They treat us like we're royalty. Mm -hmm. Make sure we have a, a killer time. Oh, man. And they are super nice. Super, they are. Super accommodating, accommodating I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, really good time. We went over there for our first time last year. I booked a hunt for our business and took everyone over there. Best time I've had hunting. Because, mm -hmm. You know, we don't hunt birds really around mm -hmm. here. But we went out there and, man, it was awesome. They, they treat you well. Um, you have fun, you know, you can rent a dog and have the dog with you. That's a blast. And how those dogs are trained, mm -hmm. dude, it is mind blowing. It is mind blowing. It is. They're nothing but professional, man. Even the dogs. Yeah. They were, they were all about their business. Yeah. I mean, they, cool. the way they get up on those birds and they're just nose down and you're the like, point. yeah, the get, point. get a little closer, you know, and they'll yeah. come on up. It's wild how you can train an animal to do that. It is. And have you heard the story about how dogs like our pet dogs came to be? Mm -mm. Well, <clears throat> this biologist he was talking about on a podcast and I was listening and pretty much the, the dogs that we have today were bitch ass wolves that kind of figured if I can, if I'm nice to these humans, they will feed us and we won't have to go hunt for food anymore. So dogs kind of originated from just these bitch ass wolves that didn't want to hunt or anything. So they came with us and then we domesticated them and then we got in several different breeds from yeah, then yeah, on. Yeah. But yeah, just the bitch ass wolves. <laughs> I thought okay. that was pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that story. <laughs> no, no. Well, I, I was watching that podcast and he said that and I'm like, wow, that, that really makes, <clears throat> sense. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Because I mean, if you look at a dog, all they are is just a, just a wolf, mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, it's just weird how, uh, dogs and cats are, I know this is kind of a weird topic, but how dogs and cats are so <clears throat> different as far as dogs, they love you. You know, you could, you could do whatever to a dog and they're going to be happy to see you, but cats are like, leave me the fuck alone or I'm going to claw your eyeballs out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I thought, I don't know. I just thought that was really pretty interesting, you know, to see that, yeah. especially the difference between a cat and a dog. Cause I, I don't like cats. I do not like cats, but dogs, I love dogs. You know, it's just, they're more friendly, I guess. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of stories out there about uh, the differences in cats and dogs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. for sure. So uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your company, uh, Treat Collective. Yeah, Treat Collective is a uh, it's a pet treat company. We started about three years ago um, in the, uh, the heat of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So terrible time to start a business. Oh, yeah. Terrible, terrible, probably 24 months of trying to, like, get things going, get it off the ground. Uh, there was a lot of time there, probably literally about two years where nobody was taking meetings, nobody was uh, launching new products, nobody was, um, you know, launching new brands or mm -hmm. putting stuff on the shelf. Um, but we we basically uh, formed this company. Um, it's a really interesting backstory, but I was uh, I was actually hiking in Yosemite National Park, which I've never been. Yeah, check Beautiful it out. place. Gorgeous yes. place. Mm -hmm. It feels unreal. Yeah. Yeah. When you come out of a, I think they call it tunnel view, mm -hmm. um, you come out of this little tunnel and you can just see right into the middle of the valley and you feel like, uh, like you just went into a different world. And where, what state's that in? No, it's like North central California. North central California. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's beautiful country anyway. <clears throat> Is that up where the redwoods are? Yeah, it's just just south of where the redwoods and the sequoias start. So. I've always wanted to see the redwoods. I've heard those are just mind boggling how big they are. Yeah, and the also, ones you drive through. Yes, oh, that's oh crazy. God. Trees you can drive through. That's mm -hmm. wild. That's mm -hmm. wild. They're enormous, <laughs> enormous. But uh, but we were yeah, we me and my buddy were hiking up there, and uh, <clears throat> he uh, has always had um, a passion for 
helping homeless youth. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was, you know, he's got a big, big backstory there, having been homeless himself on and off a couple of times through early childhood and yeah. early teen years. Um, so anyway, he and I were, were hiking. We get to the top of this ledge, like we're underneath a waterfall and there's nowhere else to go. Right. And so we're like, we're getting ready to head back down. I was like, we just got to sit down and do because I'm out of breath. Yeah. It's like January. It's freezing cold outside. Yeah. There's water pouring in on top of us. And, uh, we're just sitting there staring over into this valley and he, he looks at me and he goes, Hey, I, uh, I want to give away a million dollars. And I was <sighs> like, okay, look like, what you, how, I'm in, how? I'm in, what, how can I help? Right. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, well, how do I, how do I do it? And I was like, wow, well, you know, if you want to give away money, you got to make money. Yeah. Right. Got to have it to give, you got to have it to give it away. Yeah. Um, so I said, what do you want to do? He said, I want to help homeless teens. You know, he said, I did this run. Uh, back in 2012, he ran from New York City to Santa Monica Pier in California. Holy shit. Every day, 40 day, 40 miles a day. It was insane. Oh like, my God. very Forrest Gumpish. Like, yeah. huge beard, long hair. I, I'm going to make a number up. I think he told me he burned through like 21 or 27 pairs of Nikes on that run, um, <clears throat> which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he did it all the way across the country. Uh, I don't, I can't even tell you how long it took him, but it's, it was a long time, several months. What made him just, uh, was it like a charity event or what, it was, what it was to raise awareness for homeless teens. Okay. And he did start uh, a program called like the team three, one, four. And it was for the area code three, one, four up in St. Louis. Okay. That's where he was you know, from. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, he said, I just want to raise awareness. I want to help people acknowledge that there, there are homeless teens out there. There are kids out there that are struggling. Um, and he said, there's a, in the, in the homeless community he said there's a huge gap in uh like care and uh resources yeah and he said it's like if you're a kid then it's there's options yeah if you're an adult there's options if you're in the middle he said it's really difficult yeah um especially if you're not with a parent yeah so right so he's like if you go to a shelter they're like where's your mom yeah and they i don't have a mom they have to have a guardian to kind of sign them in or anything all kinds of different stuff damn that's a vicious cycle too i mean once you're in it how do you get out how do you get out so there's there's uh, different charity organizations out there that that try to help um, connect those kids with uh, like halfway houses, something in the middle, places to get jobs, places to get you know schooling and placement, and all kinds of different stuff. And so he said, I want to raise money to like help raise awareness mm-hmm. for these programs mm-hmm. that then help fund uh, the homeless youth efforts, right? Yeah. Um, and so he had started this mission a long time ago, as you can tell. Yeah. 2012 is a you know it's eight nine years prior to yeah. 2020. Um, when he did this run and he did, he, I mean, he made national news. He was in newspapers all across the country. I think he told me he visited like 35 or 40 different like homeless youth shelters along the way. And like every week he would stop at one and like go and speak and like lead them in prayer and like talk about his life story and kind of go through the whole, um, the event with them. And that led him, you know, obviously eight, nine years later, he's still working in it. Mm -hmm. He's still volunteering. He lives out in LA now. Yeah. Um, doing a lot in the community out there. And uh, <clears throat> he just said, I want to be able to give money away and uh, make a big impact. Yeah. I want to change the world. Right. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he like asked me, he's like, well, how do I do that? Because he's like, my, my vision is just like, quit your job, go, go volunteer to shelter. Yeah. And that's it. Right. Yeah. And I said, well, there's only so much you, there's can, only do so just, much you can do just right? for volunteering. Yeah. yeah. And so I told him, I said, if you want to make an impact and change the world, you can't do it by yourself. Mm-hmm. You got to have, you got to have people along to help you. You got to have a team. You got to have, uh, an organization, a foundation, you've got to have money, you've got to be able to generate resources that mm-hmm. you can then, you know, direct in those directions. And so he said, Well, I want to, I want to give away a million dollars. That's my goal. How do I do it? And I said, Well, we got to 
we got to make like 10 million a year. Yeah, exactly. Let's, let's start a business. right? Yeah. And so uh, he goes, well, what do you think we should do? And I looked him dead in the eye and I said, well, we sell ingredients to pet treat companies. We've, we've sold pet treats to, you know, different brands and different uh, retailers. Mm-hmm. I said, why don't we just start a pet company? And wh- why, pet, <clears throat> why pet treats? Like, why was that the, <clears throat> the, uh, the industry that, that you guys were, had a foot in and wanted to get into? Why there? That's a good question. Yeah. Because I'll be honest with you, we get asked that a lot. People mm-hmm. are like, how does that even correlate like homeless teens and yeah. pets, right? Um, so uh, a little bit of background is Jordan and I had both worked in the pet industry. Okay. Um, we had both been a VP of sales for a, a pet treat brand. Um, I had been the COO of a commodity company that sold ingredients to pet food manufacturers. Okay. And then Jordan was a director of transportation for two different companies that also sold ingredients. So we had known that space really well. Mm-hmm. Um, but for Jordan, it was a little more impactful. For me, it was just, it's what made sense, yeah. right? That's yeah. where we know it's the connections we have yep. and that's the development we, we can, we feel like we can have the biggest impact in. But for Jordan, um, I believe that that job that he had when I was COO of a company, I hired him to be my director of logistics and transportation. And he said that that was his first job coming out of being homeless. Wow. So he said, for me, it was the pet industry gave me stability and it gave me a foothold and it gave me a foundation to really build my life upon. Mm-hmm. And then now that I have a life going and it's, you know, it's vastly different than what I ever imagined it would be before. Yeah. Now I'm, I want to use that as a platform to propel other kids that were in the same situations that, I was in. Yeah. And yeah. That's awesome. That's it's, it's wild that, you know, like a pet treat, you know, that's where it's starting out is here, you know, doing pet treats and to an end goal of helping homeless teens, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, and I kind of want to pick your brain a little bit, not to, not to get off subject or anything, but about the homeless problem, like just in general, because we, we know it's a vicious cycle. We know once you're in it, it's almost impossible to get out of. I mean, you go to mm-hmm. cities like Austin, yeah. L.A., uh, even Springfield, St. Louis, Missouri. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have homeless. And it seems like no one is able to come up with a good solution to the problem. And, you know, like in California, they 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 divert a shit ton of money to combating the homeless problem. Mm-hmm. But the the bad thing about that is, is they're incentivized to keep it going because their job is excommunicado if they ever fix the homeless problem. Mm-hmm. And how much are those people getting paid, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. So it's almost like it's created a devil within itself to make sure the homeless problem stays where it's at and not getting better. Yeah. There, I would, I would venture out to say that anything government funded leads in that direction. Yeah. yeah I mean, um, people are corrupt <clears throat> with money, you know, money, they are. money they corrupts. Are. Uh, yeah. But I think on the, you know, on the topic of the, you know, solving the homeless problem. I think there's, there's two huge variations of it. And one of them is probably the largest stems around, you know, mental instability. Yeah. And so I think that rather than saying, let's just dump resources into fixing the homeless problem. I think we have to start before, before, Mm -hmm. you know, especially in the youth before people are homeless and really understanding and educating people on, uh, you know, mental health, Mm -hmm. because I think that's where it all really stems from. I agree. Um, and whether it's your mental health or your parents' mental health or those around you, like it all ends up happening in some variation. Yeah. Well, um, and, and one scary thing that no one, no one wants to think about is, uh, you know, especially like I'm just using our town as an example because I'm, mm-hmm. I live here, but <clears throat> how many of our civilians are three months away from homelessness if they lose a job? Mm-hmm. How many are a month away from homelessness living paycheck to paycheck already? And all it takes is that one tragic thing to happen that upends their finances and then they're on the street too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, yeah. 
it's scary how many Americans live so close to to that poverty line and to the line of homelessness within itself. Because a lot of people, paycheck to paycheck, you know, and a bank will take your house away in three payments. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not many. 90 days. Yeah, 90 days. And then if you you can't find the money, if you're you, you lose your job, kind of like the fucking hospital over here in West Plains that laid off 130 people mm -hmm. that no good discussing CEO over there, Tom Keller. He laid off 130 people in a day. I have emails from three months back, him emailing the bosses saying, don't tell these people that we're going to fire them, but we're going to fire them on this day, but make sure they don't know because we want them to work up until that day. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it seems like a lot of those guys, they come into these small towns, they take advantage of the poverty. Uh, they they dingle, dingle and dangle 20 extra dollars over their head and they get them in there. And then after they're done using them, they let them out to the wolves. Mm -hmm. And I mean, over there, you know, 130 people in a single day for this town, that is a lot of people. And how many, how many of those could have been on the verge of homelessness within a few months? Yeah. You know, it just, it seems like um, the upper 1%, a lot of them, I'm not, not speaking for all of them, but a lot of them just don't give a shit about anything but the bottom dollar. Mm -hmm. And especially in towns like this, and I'm just using o Ozark Healthcare as an example, because that's the one I've been dealing with lately. Mm -hmm. But, you know, 130 people, that's 130 families this close to Christmas. They fired them in August. You know, so that's what, five months to find a job and be able to pay your bills and supply uh, to get them a Christmas for your kids or right. or warm clothes or anything. Mm -hmm. And it's scary how how me medium to minimum wage workers are used as a puppet mm -hmm. more than anything. Yeah. I couldn't even imagine going through that in a small town where, you know, there's probably not even 135 open jobs. Exactly. And in some cases in the whole county. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So like your option is homelessness. Mm -hmm. It's not pay bills, lose your house, you know, uproot yeah. your family. Uh, and then where are you? What are you doing after that? Because yeah. how many how many jobs are even available? How many of them are you even qualified to do? Exactly. You know, um, and how far are you willing to move? Right. Because <laughs> that's, that's the next option. Yeah. And a lot of people, they have like, say, split households, you know, where mom and dad ain't together no more. So they have to stay in this area to be able to see their kid. Yeah. They lose a job like that. And what's our industry around here? We have agricultural, we have cows. You know, you have to be either a farmer, a logger, or a sawmill worker, and or a mechanic. Those mm -hmm. are pretty much the four things in our area that you yeah. can do. There's nothing like white collar. I mean, the hospital, that's literally it. The yeah, hospital, yeah. McDonald's, uh, you know, and that's not a good paying job, but Walmart, those kind of jobs. That's all we have around here. Mm -hmm. So, you know, those people who were laid off, the nurses, the CNAs, the RNs, the surgical techs, they went to school for that job. They thought they had job security here, but then turned around and within a single day lose their life. Yeah. You know, and that it's just it's so scary to think about that that at the end of the day, they wouldn't, especially the way that CEO did it. He was informing the bosses three months ahead of time that we're firing them on this day. But don't tell them so they don't have a job lined up because we want to keep them until we don't need them. Mm -hmm. And that's scary. You yeah. know, uh, I just I mean, yeah, it's a capitalistic society and we have free market and, you know, you can fire people. You can. That's but at the same time, I really think moral should be brought into the equation when it comes to that and look at them as humans. Yeah, I think, in you know, the way that you describe that situation and I can tell you from someone who has been an executive before, mm -hmm. still am, I uh, have to make those kind of decisions all the time. Yeah. But the the human element uh, is very rarely looked at. Yeah. And if you know three months in advance that you're getting ready to lay off 130 people. It would be really easy 
to make sure your operation is in line mm -hmm. and make sure that you structured the layoff appropriately. Yeah. So you started with phase one, went through phase three, yes. gave people an opportunity to get out and do what they needed to do to take exactly. care of themselves and their family, uh, rather than just saying, Hey, you guys are, you guys are gone. Exactly. Have a good, have a good day. Yeah. See ya. And see, that was my biggest <clears throat> gripe. And that's what I was going on and on about and beating the drum about is that why not give them two weeks, three weeks, a month. I mean, you know, whenever any of them quit, I guarantee you most of them, 90% gave a two week notice to mm -hmm. be courteous to that company. And so what really griped me is the fact that they could not extend that courtesy to their workers. Yeah. And uh, it's just very worrisome about how they did it because they went in one day, uh, their bosses brought them into a room, group fired them, and then had uh, security law enforcement there to escort them out of the building that time. Like, give me your keys, you're <clears> gone. <throat> and that's how it went. And then you get the news cycle. They covered it one night for four minutes, interview one person. And then, so there's absolutely no uh, pushback against doing that stuff. And so why wouldn't they continue doing it? Yeah. You know, and that, I mean, we're talking about homeless problem, but that that's, it seems to be like, that's how it starts. That's how some of it begins. Some for sure. of it, yes. I absolutely. mean, drugs, uh, like you said, mental health, mm -hmm. um, addiction, all that stuff just gets wrapped up, wrapped up into all that. Also, I mean, there's so many um, existential circumstances that that could cause that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But one that could be prevented was this CEO that knew three months in advance, he was getting rid of people. Why not give them two weeks or a week? I mean, that would have been good or just as good as anything. At mm -hmm. least they got a little bit of a notice instead yeah. of one single day. Yeah. And I don't know. That's what my gripe is with it, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, I think if you start talking about the, uh, you know, the homeless problems that we have in the United States, um, I know we, we as an organization focus on teens, right? Um, and I know we talked about mental health, but there's so much more that goes into, like what you just mentioned, you know, the, the way that we deal with, with people, with uh, employees, with operations, with industry. Um, the, one of the big ones for me, it's always has been, and it's always, uh, I like to say that it's always our second uh, variation of support beyond homeless teens is homeless veterans. Mm -hmm. And that just, to me, it like breaks my heart. It astonishes me that we as a country can send, send kids. Yep. They're literally kids when we send them overseas. Literally teens. <laughs> literally teenagers. And then when they come home, there's not enough support to make sure that they're not living on the street. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of them, you know, you get out <clears> of the military, <throat> they train you up to be a soldier. You mm -hmm. know, you get eight to 13 weeks of boot camp to, to, yeah. be, to be a soldier. And then whenever you get out, you have congr congressional mandated TAPS. It's Transition Assistance Program and the S, I can't remember, but services. And uh, so you get four days of PowerPoints to teach you how to be a civilian again. And it basically, <clears throat> they're just going through and checking boxes, you mm -hmm. know, and it's the best we got right now. But they teach you how to write a resume. They teach you how to budget, um, how to uh, allocate money for savings, all this stuff. But they only do it in a four-day program. And uh, within those four days, it's it's PowerPoints. And that's all it is. It's no hands-on. It's not showing someone how to go up and interview, how to present yourself to a executive, mm -hmm. how to make a company want you. Yeah. You know, all it is is here, hand them a resume and they'll call you. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I just, I think our government, and yeah, right now, the, the world is fucking crazy right now. We have a lot of shit going on and we need a strong military. But if we're not taking care of the ones who did it, what's the incentive? I mean, all those kids coming up, see what happened to those veterans. Mm -hmm. So why would they join? Because we're on a purely volunteer force. The mm -hmm. only the only uh, service in, in the world that is a strictly volunteer force. Yeah. And uh, if we keep de-incentivizing de it like we have, then as they're seeing now, not many people want to join who's going to take up that mantle and go do what they need to, yeah. you know?
and homeless veterans, that hits hard for me. You know, I know a lot of veterans that are hurt, disabled, who have served four tours in Iraq and Afghanistan and have come back completely fucked up and they get out needing help. They go to the VA. The VA gives them a starter pack of pills, sends them home and says, all right, that's what you get. And that's the end of it. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think. And most of them just take it thinking this is going to fix it. I did. They have no idea. Yeah, dude, I've got a fucking story. Um, Whenever I first got out, I was having some problems. I went to the VA. I was like, hey, this is what's going on. So they give me the VA starter pack of pills. And I was, I trusted the doctors, you know, and I took them. I lost a year of my life where I was just a zombie. Mm -hmm. I had no personality. I slept all the time. I wasn't who I was, you know, because of these pills. And Mm -hmm. whenever someone finally that's near and dear to me came up to me and they're like, dude, you are not yourself. You haven't been for eight months. Like what the fuck's going on? Yeah. And I was finally able to see what was going on because to me, the pills were working because I was like, oh, I'm not depressed. I'm not anxious. I'm not all this stuff. uh, So it must be working. But outside looking in my family was like all you're doing is going to work not talking to anyone you're not having human interaction you're a zombie you work sleep and do it all over again that's all Mm -hmm. you do so it took me getting to the worst to be able to get to a better point with that stuff but i think there needs to be an air of caution where it comes to one medication and two how you treat what has happened because like medicine all it's doing is covering up and pushing it down the road for you to have to deal with later when I really, and I'm not a psychologist or anything, but I think one of the biggest things that could help like PTSD veterans, combat vets just say is make them deal with it there instead of pushing it down the line and being numb with this medicine Mm -hmm. is get them in, make them talk to a therapist, make them relive it until it doesn't affect them to the point to where it hinders their life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, and you know, that's just something that's really near, near and dear to me because I know a lot of, a lot of men and women like that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but whew, boy, that got fucking heavy quick, didn't it? Jesus. It always Christ. does. It always does. It always, always does. Well, I mean, mental health, that's just, <clears throat> it's one of those things that one, it's starting to be talked about more, mm-hmm. but it's still not talked about in the capacity that it needs to be to actually enact a change. Yeah. Because it seems like society right now, the only thing they're doing is is force feeding these meds and making them numb instead of dealing with the traumas that of the past. Yeah. You know, but medication doesn't deal with it. No. And you know, like you said, it makes you numb. It makes you yeah. a zombie. All it does is keep you from dealing with it. In my opinion. Yeah. Me too. Um, and I, I'm not one to advocate for medicine at all. Mm-hmm. If I, if I don't need it to be alive, I try not to take it. Same. Right. Same. Um, but anything to me that like alters your state of mind, that alters your perception of reality, anything mm-hmm. that's going to depress the feelings and anxieties, uh, you know, and, and traumas that you've experienced, that's not the way to deal with it. No, not at all. Not at all. I think all it does is really hide it and you're going to have to deal it with does. it later. That's exactly it generally right. makes it worse. It puts a blanket over the problem yeah. for you to come back at a later time and think you've been good all these years, but mm-hmm. then say them, okay, just say, say we hit World War Three. say Russia, China, Taiwan, all this stuff kicks off with Israel. Let's say, just say it happens. And then 99% of the United States medicine comes from China. What if it gets cut off? How are these people going to be whenever they can't go to the pharmacy and get their medicine every day? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a that's a scary reality right now that could happen. You know, I'm not a, I am kind of a conspiracy theorist. It's okay, but <laughs> but at the, yeah, yeah, but at the same time, you know that that's a very real reality right now mm-hmm. in our society that could happen because tensions have never been greater. Yeah, and I mean, all it would take is to shut down the like we've seen in COVID. And that was just a taste of what could happen. Mm, absolutely. If, if they shut down the supply chain and people can't get their medicine, 
that means they're going to have to start dealing with their shit or it's going to flood them up and they won't know how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think medication is so dangerous. Some people need it. I'm not saying that, but does 99% of the ill need it? Or is it something that could be worked out if you put in the work? Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, that's just, that's, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a human subject. You know, it's yeah. a very human subject. It's absolutely because, you know, you, you never want to see a fellow human suffer. You never want yeah, to yeah. see a, a veteran suffer for sure. Or, or teenagers or kids or anyone, but you know, the world that we live in and the world it's always been in history, there has to be suffering, you know? Yeah. So what are some major strides, uh, that, that the tree collective is, uh, is trying to take to start enacting the, the homeless teen programs? Yeah. So, um, obviously we, we have a huge focus out in the LA area because mm -hmm. that's where Jordan's at. Yep. Um, he's really involved in, uh, for him, sports was kind of an outlet growing up. Right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, he uses that a lot, uh, in his current day to day. Um, he is part of the, um, fellowship of Christian athletes. Mm -hmm. He does that in the, the local schools there. He goes in and speaks on behalf of the FCA. Um, he coaches AU or he used to, I think he still does, but AAU basketball, um, for young men. Um, and then he does a lot of volunteering at a couple of different shelters and at the YMCA's there in the area, um, to spend time with kids. Um, we also have a partnership that we've started with a, uh, um, a nonprofit in Kansas city. Mm -hmm. And that was a really near and dear area for him. Cause yeah. that's where he lived. Um, went to college there. And then I think actually experienced his first stout of uh homelessness as a, an adult okay. um lived under a bridge for a month or two there in the kansas city area with uh, a large group of men and really kind of ingrained himself in that that area mm -hmm. and that demographic to really understand it to work with it and to really get a feel for like what are they dealing with on a daily basis how do we help them like you know you, you can't just you know, put a band-aid on things yeah. if you don't know what's really causing it exactly um but we have a part kind of like the medication thing exactly yeah. Uh, but we have a partnership with an organization there called Artists Helping the Homeless. Artists Helping the Homeless. Yeah. Okay. It's an awesome, uh, awesome program. I think it's ran by, uh, I say young man, <laughs> named Dr. Wu. Mm -hmm. um, he's not young. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very seasoned. Um, and basically, uh, there's actually a program in place in the, the Kansas City and greater Kansas City area where if you call a phone number, a, a car or a minivan will show up within an hour if you're serious mm -hmm. and they'll come get you. They'll pick you up load your stuff up and they'll take you to a house, get you cleaned up and put you on the path to get you into a job, to get you into a, a round of interviews, to get you, to get you into a place where you could be successful. Wow. So they're and proactively combating this actively trying to eliminate it. And at the beginning, if you say like I'm homeless today, mm -hmm. you can call these guys and they'll come get you. That is awesome. And so that is a, it's kind of a focus for us because uh, a tree collective, we have a nonprofit organization called mm -hmm. the collective difference. Okay. And the whole point behind that is that collectively, if we all band together, right, and we can all combat and make a difference in the, the life of homelessness yeah. around, the, around the entire country. Um, and that's something that there's a lot of programs out there, but if you don't know about them or if you're not in a city that has them, then you're just SOL. You're, yeah. you're, out, you're out on your own and there's nothing, to, nothing you can do about it. That's another, I don't <clears throat> interrupt, uh, but that's another thing that a lot of people don't, don't take into account is... Do they know the programs available to them? You know, most don't. Is that camera? Hey, Emily, will you look at that one? Did I hit it? No, you're good. You're good. Still on. Uh, Number two. Go back. No, it's kind of cockeyed now. Does it need to move right or left? 
going to go, yeah, keep doing that. Yes, there. Okay. Good. good? Yeah. Okay. You're good. Oh, shit, I forgot to clap at the beginning. Oh, well. No. I'll clap now. Right yeah. As you did. Huh? <laughs> Do it. It started right as you started talking. Well, I talked really loud at the beginning, so I think that'll be a be a way for him to line up the, the audio waves. So we'll be all right. Anyway, sorry. I'm going to do a clap real quick. That way we can find our spot. Will you write down where the clap was? Okay. Anyway, I'm sorry. Back to what we were saying. We had a little issue with the with the, uh, the camera. Uh, but anyway, back to what we were saying is uh, when you're homeless, one, where the hell do you go to find yeah. these programs? You yeah, know, yeah. And that's another thing. You know, that it's kind of like Pandora's box. Once it's opened, you know, it's like, well, yeah, this program's here, but one, how do they find it? Because mm-hmm. they don't have cell phones, they don't have Facebook, you know, and that's just another element on top of all this that makes it struggle to be able to figure out what, what help is available, Yeah, you know? Yeah, and then the, the community that we grew up in, when Jordan was homeless, uh, experienced that, that portion of his life, there were no programs. There weren't facilities, like, legitimately made it through years of on and off homelessness bouncing from friends couch to couch living in his car uh, at one point crashed on my couch in my apartment and i had no idea you know oh, you didn't know he was homeless at that time you I just didn't. thought he was kind of hanging out yeah like it was midsummer like it was you know i was in college he was still in high school um he got a job with me and my brothers we all three worked all four of us actually because i have two brothers we all four worked at an emo's pizza mm-hmm. restaurant best um, pizza ever best that pizza shit. ever right <laughs> yeah um and uh shout out to emos shout out right to there emos. Yeah, that that's stuff. some good shit it is um and all we were doing was like working um working out playing basketball like mm-hmm. it was you know my brothers were in high school he was in high school and i was in college so we were like living the dream yeah. you know had no cares in the world and uh crashed on my couch for i don't know probably a month month and a half during the middle of summer yeah and it was like to me it was normal because it was like your buddy yeah my buddy but like dude like we're just going to the gym every day we're working we all work together Mm -hmm. so it was like do you want to go home or do you want to come to the apartment and like play xbox afterwards yeah exactly let's come play xbox (laughs) yeah yeah um and then all of a sudden like one day he just disappeared and we were all like what happened to jordan and then you know emos they're like oh yeah he quit turned his notice that he was going back to basketball camp going back to school blah 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 Mm kind of disappeared on me and it wasn't until you fast forward you know 10 years later or whatever it was that he's like, Oh yeah, that I was homeless that summer. Like oh, I had nowhere shit. to live. I was, that's why I was on your couch for a month and a half. Mm. Um, and he's like, I tried not to shower at your house every day. I tried to go to the YMCA. You know, I tried to <sighs> trying to hide it. Yeah. Trying to hide it. And I was like, bro, you should have just told me yeah. like we could have figured something out. He's yeah. like, that was, that was part of it. Yeah. it the allure of like making, making myself feel normal was that nobody knew. Yeah. You know? And I, I can get, especially, you know, I mean, <clears throat> I'm never going to dog like where we're from or anything, but living where we do, it does seem like the opinion of the majority is figured out yourself. You're a big boy. And, you know, and I, I don't know how to, how to flip, <clears throat> flip that script and flip that mindset of people that, you know, it's not as easy as just picking yourself up and, and getting a job because if you don't have a shower, who's going to hire you? Who's going to take you serious in an right, interview? Right. Who's going to, you know, if you don't have a good pair of clothes, they're going to, they're going to fire you if, if you first day of work, you yeah. know? So like we've been talking about, it's just a vicious cycle and it takes things like the treat collective or the collective uh, difference, yeah. the collective difference to break the wheel instead of just keeping it going, I guess, yeah. you know, I think that's for, for me, that's always been my main focus is helping run the business, helping grow the business. 
uh, obviously getting the, getting the treats out there, um, doing as much as we possibly can to sell as many treats as we can. Yeah. The whole goal is that, and I, most people don't do this. Most companies don't do this, but our, our mission is actually to give 10% of our, our proceeds back. That's not like corporate responsibility. Yeah. We're not just writing a little check for a thousand dollars at the end of the year being like, Oh, look at us. Look yeah. what we did. Our That's goal is to like, do. we want to make money and we give it away. Yeah. Right. And we're going to give it away through the collective difference to organizations that do make an impact mm-hmm. and the ones that make a difference and the ones that, you know, shed light on the reality of what we're dealing with. Um, and hopefully, uh, you know, create an environment where we're, we're fixing problems, not causing them. Yeah. Um, or continuing. Yeah. Or yeah. just letting it, letting it continue to spin, you know, spiral aimlessly down the hill, you know? Well, that's like, uh, <clears throat> let's, let's take LA uh, two weeks ago. I mean, they were able to completely clean up the streets whenever uh oh xi jinping came and visit mm-hmm. you know they cleaned the streets up of homeless just for the visit but if they're able to do that for a short period of time what is stopping them from doing it yeah you know if, if it was that easy for them to just clean up the streets because a foreign uh government was coming and they didn't want them to see it why can we not take that exact design that they just did and implement it on a longer <clears throat> longer scale yeah. And that I'm not like taking party politics out of it, but just the fact that they were able to clean up the streets mm-hmm. and then now it's right back to the same. What yeah. do you think about that? I think it's crazy. And there is uh, a variation of this. I'd read some articles about mm-hmm. the way that we handled homelessness during COVID. Yeah. And they said that there were cities that literally said, we can't have homeless people just running around willy nilly doing whatever they want with no regard to, to human life or sanctity. Mm-hmm. Right. Let's put them in hotels. <laughs> So they Pretty literally took them all off the street, stuck them in hotels, and all of a sudden the streets were clean. Yeah. There are no homeless. Exactly. Because they're eating. Everything's being taken care of. And then all of a sudden, as soon as COVID's over, they're like, oh, we got to get back to normal life. All right, everybody back out on the street. Yeah, get back out there. Well, where, where did those funds, like, obviously we had funds allocated to, to take care of it then. Yeah. Why aren't we allocating it to... How did they dry up? Yeah. yeah. Where they did, I know it was like COVID funding, right? But, yeah. But I mean, just... Why aren't, we, why aren't we still funneling those things into the same areas, dealing with the same issues? And instead of saying everybody back on the street with let's the say, same urgency, with the same urgency, yeah. let's say, let's get some people in here to deal with the mental health issues, the drug issues, the, the abandonment issues, the, the PTSD issues. Let's address those issues and let's find, let's find homes for these people, not to just to live in, but in society. Yeah. Cause they, they truly do like everyone, everyone wants to be wanted. They want to be needed. They want to have that, um, that validity themselves, mm-hmm. you know, in, in society. And I think that's what a lot of them are lacking is like no one wants them. Yeah. Right. No one's, no one's giving them the time of day to be who they really are. Exactly. And I'm, I'm, I'm a firm believer that the majority 90, I'd say 98, 95, 98% of humans want to do something where they feel fulfilled. Mm -hmm. You know, they want to be, uh, uh, contributors. They want to contribute, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just, but that's like addiction. I mean, People can say, well, they just shouldn't be addicted, but it's not that simple. I mean, you have actual health problems that come once you're addicted. You can't just cold turkey on some drugs like benzodiapine, benzodiapines or whatever, like, uh, oh, uh, Ativan. um, What's the other anxiety medicine? Um, Prozac. Prozac. Mm -hmm. You can't just stop that stuff. You will literally die. Your body will shut down if you stop taking it cold turkey. Mm -hmm. So there is, it's not that. Oh, just stop taking the drugs. I mean, there needs to be, like we were talking about, a proactive 
plan to get these people off the drugs and mm-hmm. keep them and keep them off the drugs yeah. because that's the main thing. Cause a lot of those homeless shelters <clears throat> and stuff, they won't even, they won't even touch you if you're like in active addiction. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, they want you to go to a, a rehab facility first. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, there probably should be like a, um, a pipeline, you know, like mm-hmm. say, you know, you're a drug addict, you have to rehabilitate, get into a home, see a, a homeless counselor that's going to help you find a job, you mm-hmm. know, like there's, sh- I think there could be a pipeline to the end goal of being a contributive, my contributing member of society. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, um, I don't know where that starts though. Like, does it start on the government or does it start with people like us everyday citizens, like pulling it up by our bootstraps, trying to get the message out? I think it's a program we have to bootstrap. And I Me think too. that once we put in the effort, um, I think it then gives us the leverage to kind of flex yeah. on our government officials a little bit and say like, Hey, we're doing it already. Let's, let's contribute. We already, we know there's tax funding out there. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's pull it out of the programs that aren't being fiscally responsible. And yeah. let's, let's do something that's helping society. Like sending billions of dollars to foreign, to countries, foreign countries every fucking month. Yeah. I mean, let's just, and just to reel it back <sighs> into their own pockets. Yes, exactly. Just to reel it back into their own. I mean, let's just take Hawaii. Do you remember, you heard what happened with Hawaii, right? Oh, yeah. The Maui fires and everything. We accidentally gave Ukraine 10 billion extra dollars or seven. I think it was 7 billion extra dollars. Extra. Extra on accident. That we didn't know about. That we didnn't know about. Because we're bad at math. Exactly. Because and our Excel sheets didn't match. <laughs> but, but our IRS is great at math. You know, it's kind of weird. They've been telling me how much my money I owe them every exactly. year for exactly. a long time. And they don't get it wrong. No. You know, but they, uh, someone put it up. They did a study and that money that we accidentally sent to Ukraine could have funded and made Maui completely whole what it was post fire. So everyone on that island could have been back to normal life with their house with that amount of money that was accidentally sent to Ukraine. Yeah. But that's. I feel like it's just government uh, irresponsibility because at what point do we as Americans ask our government, do you care about us or just what's going on overseas or just them? Because we have problems here too, you know, and that's like, they need to focus on the homeless problem over here, but they don't, they would much rather focus on, and I'm not saying Ukraine doesn't need help. I'm not. Yeah. I'm saying, does it need the level of help that we have given it to fight a proxy war with Russia from the U.S.? That's what worries me. Yeah. And uh, I just really wish that the public opinion would sway that, hey, why are we not taking care of Americans first Mm -hmm. instead of worrying about the world? You know, because if we have problems within our own country, then how are how can we tell any other country what they're doing wrong? Yeah. You know, and. I don't know where that starts with legislation or, or what to. Get... I would like to think there's a way to fix that, mm-hmm. but I think the reality of our society and the global impact of the economy is that the places we send money, yeah, you can always paper trail it back yeah. to us having some financial interest in that. Zone. Exactly. <laughs> if we didn't, we wouldn't do it. We would not do it. Yep. We wouldn't be there. Well, and... We wouldn't be in Ukraine. No. We wouldn't be in Israel. We wouldn't be, it wouldn't be right. anywhere exactly. if it didn't benefit us some way and to control it. Well, that's why America is starting to get a little foothold into Africa right now. Yeah. We're starting to push into the Pacific a little bit. They're trying to catch up with the Chinese who have been there for years. Exactly. Exactly. And the Russia that's already established a oh, presence yeah. there, you oh, know, yeah. but America's like, oh, well, we can't be left behind. And I mean, if they want Africa's to... an enormous <gasps> continent. Dude, it is enormous. huge. Enormous. And talk about a violent continent. 
Uh-huh. There are warring tribes over there that are literally just every day shooting each other up. Uh-huh. They have children soldiers over there. Uh-huh. You know, we talk about, excuse me, but we talk about what's going on with Ukraine. We talk about what's going on with Israel, Hamas, Gaza, all this stuff, uh, Hezbollah, Iran. But no one ever speaks about Africa because there has not been a big enough government interest in that region until now. Not they're yet. starting to go there because what are they finding over there? Oil. They're finding rubies, gems. They're they're finding resources, mm-hmm. you know, and that's like the cobalt mines in the Congo. How much longer until some nation's going to try to get in the Congo, the Congo over there? You know, it just it always seems mm-hmm. to be a benefit for someone or a company. And that's what directs decisions. Yeah, exactly. Money, money, yeah, money, you know, uh, and pa- control. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, <clears throat> I guess it's easy to say, like, oh, if I was if I was a congressman, I would do this and this. But, you know, if you really think about it, how many of those congressmen said that and then they realize how much money and they're like, well, I'm not going to fix this. I might as well jump in on the gravy train yep. and make my stake. Yep. You know, and I think that's how it happens. I think so. I think the reality of it is you get into that level of politics and you not only do you understand more in depth what's happening, but you physically get to see it day in and day out in the inner workings. Yeah. And the reality is, no matter, even if you all band together, you're not stopping that wheel from spinning. So now it's like grab onto it, yeah. right? Yep. Try to try to get your piece out of it, and there's so much and make sure it. make so much money, right? Yep. But make sure that you 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 make as least negative impact as possible. It's yep. not about making a positive change anymore. Yep. It's about I just want to make decisions that don't negatively impact us. that won't hurt my voter. Yeah, yeah, my voting status. Right. Yep. I'm trying not to hurt my votes. Yep. Exactly. That's and, it. Yeah, and that's that's what it's come down to is the moral of our <clears throat> of our legislators. And I didn't mean to get into politics or anything, but the moral of our legislation is that is mm-hmm. if if I don't have anyone go opposing me, then we're good. You know, if we can keep everything hush hush or do things in a way that makes it look, you know, like how they word bills or legislation nowadays, like the Patriot Act of 2001, whenever 9-11 happened, mm-hmm. who would have not voted for the Patriot Act at that time? I mean, yeah. that sounds amazing, the Patriot Act. But what that did is just relinquish our rights to the NSA, the CIA, the DA, all these governments to spy on us. Yeah. Because it was called the Patriot Act, though, no one dared oppose it. And right. it's all about the wording. Then you look like a communist. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Like, gotcha. It's fucking wild. It is. It's oh, crazy. My God. Oh, man. It, I don't know. This this country is just, it's got a lot of wild shit going. What do you think about our world right now? It's I, crazy, man. I know at the beginning of this, you said uh, you're a little bit of a conspiracy theorist. Oh, yeah. but, um I like a good conspiracy, man. It gets, me, it gets me paranoid. You my, know? my wife says I'm a conspiracy theorist, and she's always said that yeah. until we got through COVID, and everything I said yeah. was going to happen. She said it was a conspiracy, and then it happened. Yeah. And she's like, holy crap. Maybe we're not such Maybe you're onto something. <laughs> Maybe we're right. not the conspiracy theorist. Right. She's like, well, it's you're still kind of crazy, but I think you were right. I think it takes a little crazy in this world. This whole it fucking does. world is crazy, man. It's too crazy not to be a little crazy. Exactly. I mean, if you walked around every day thinking everything was 100% fine, you are not in the base reality of what's going on. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Oh. It reminds me of the Truman Show literally right yeah if you don't if you don't think something's crazy is happening yeah. right it's happening then it's happening yeah exactly <laughs> right. you just don't see it or, yeah. or everyone's in on it too it. Yeah. yeah everyone's in on it that's the weird thing man it's like you know a lot of people talk and they always say they you know like a lot of like quote unquote <clears throat> conspiracy which it's weird how conspiracy theorists has become like a a a slur like a slander towards people like oh you're a conspiracy theorist you know and they're like that's a bad thing now you know but 
after COVID, you know, how we were like, I don't know about, I didn't, I didn't, I did not take the jab. I just would not do it because I was worried about my health, you know, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I was working out at the time. I'm real healthy. Why should I do it? And then they want to take you a, bo- a booster shot and then another booster shot and then another booster shot. And we're on like round 10 of booster shots when they said the first one was going to be safe and effective and it's going to stop everything, you know? And, uh, I also didn't get it. I don't blame you, man. It's scary, right? It is. Just look at the people dying now and which who knows if it's from that. We can't say we're not professionals, but at the same time, there's, there's a lot of real statistics. So coming out now, lot. there's a lot. Yeah. Like I think, I, I, I think I read the other day that there's like a 56 or 57% increase in cancer among yeah. people who took the jab and heart attacks, heart attacks are through the roof, blood clots blood through clots. the roof. Have you seen those clots? Those oh, white Lord. ones? Yeah. <sighs> Dude. Literally like clocking up their entire leg, shutting off the blood flow, the rest of your body. And then yeah. pff, you're done. That is wild. Causing who, strokes like crazy. Who was it? Was it LeBron James, his son, or Kobe, or someone's son dropped of a heart attack at 19 years old whenever he was playing basketball? Yeah, I remember that. That, that is unheard. And that's of. happened a couple of times. Yeah, there's a lot to of a young few people. athletes yeah. just boom on the ground. And how scary is it that you know the pandemic was a weird time? Okay, I, I'll admit it. You know, anxiety tensions were high. We didn't. Everyone was scared at a certain point. Didn't know what this was because it could have been as bad as the Black Plague. Mm-hmm. You know, the bubonic plague, or it could have been a cold. Thank God it turned out to be the latter of that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, at the beginning, I understood everyone being a little cautious, erring on the side of caution. You know, when they're like, oh, two weeks to flatten the curve. Cool. All right. Yeah, we can do that. But then it, it's a month, two months, three months. And then before we knew it, we were inside the fucking house for two years straight. Yeah. And it was just a control thing. When you would see <clears throat> these senators or governors or mayors out eating without their masks and then you know what's excuse me what they make you do they're not going to make they're not going to do themselves mm-hmm. and it looked like a big controlled grab or a practice run mm-hmm. you know that's what it looked like to me get ready get right. ready here it comes yeah oh yeah they're already talking about it coming back a different strand or whatever of COVID. they've tried i think in a couple of places where yeah. they're like oh we're having these outbreaks yeah. and even out in california where it was locked down city right mm-hmm. um and you go to california now and they're like oh covid and people are like get out of here yeah shut like, the fuck no up. way <laughs> no yeah. one gives a fuck i don't care if it's in the middle of downtown la i'm not doing that <laughs> exactly yeah. and that's good you know at least the people woke up and realized what it, it took a long time it did i was really worried about our country for a while oh man i was worried about uh the legitimacy of perception that yeah people would bait like people were judging you as if you were a terrible person yep because you didn't get the vaccine or because you didn't wear your mask and like I had people say that to me, like I'm out in public mm-hmm. and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not in a restaurant. I'm not in a close quarters. I'm like walking down the street outside and someone's like, where's your mask? I'm like, uh, Up your ass. <laughs> I don't have one. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not with anyone. I'm not around anyone. Like, and and it's, I mean, they show that it doesn't spread on the outdoors. Yeah. So, but that's like, that's and the, the crazy thing to me was, is that like someone who was against the enforcement of all of these uh, policies, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't judge anyone who followed them. Yeah. I was like, Hey, that's your decision, dude. Exactly. I respect that. Yep. Me too. But where was that for me? It was always like, where's that mutual respect back to being like, Hey, it's America. There was, I, I think you should do what is best for you. It was like, you're a terrible person. Cause you don't care about me. Exactly. Or don't you have your mask on? Or they try to hit you with, don't you care about your grandma? I'm sorry, but my grandma's fucking scared to death and she's staying inside. You know what I mean? Yes. I mean, yes. It, She's worried about it enough. She's doing what she needs to. She's staying inside. I'm bringing her groceries, leaving them on the door, you know, and, mm-hmm. but they, they tried to hit you with those feels of, you know, well, you're not worried about the old people. You're not worried about the young ones or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah. uh, it just, it scared me how much everyone fell in line because throughout history we've seen, you know, it made me think 
when I was in high school and they said, how could Germany sit back and let yeah. the Holocaust happen? Exactly. Like who just sits back and lets this happen? Exactly. Then you go through COVID yeah. and the shutdown. And it's like everyone who was telling on their neighbor, that's how this happened. Yeah, it's a mass psychosis. It is. It's exactly how the Holocaust happened. Exactly. It's the craziness of it. That... It's like if you're willing to say this person didn't wear their mask, this person left their apartment, this person had someone over had someone over on Thanksgiving, and you're calling <laughs> lo like local officials, you're the person who called and said they're hiding Jews in the basement. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> exactly. And that's a terrible thing to say, but that's the, you're, you're on the same level. It is. And that's exactly what it is. It's that same, that same mind or that same thought process, mm -hmm. you know, and it is like you said, I back in school, I wondered how could, a, how could people collectively let that happen? And then we found out in 2019, 20, how it happened. And it was a scary time It was because I didn't, I'm so glad we bounced back like we have, because I figured it was going to go either one or two ways. Either way, it was going to go like it is where no one gave a shit about it or it became a thing forever. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I'm very glad. And it was going to be something we had to deal with for the rest of our life. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh my God. Well, like my daughter, she's six years old. Half of, over half of her life has been mask, lockdown, COVID. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm worried about what that did, which we did not wear a mask. Like the only time I ever wore a mask throughout the pandemic, I'm not proud of it. Yeah, I am. But uh, is whenever I had surgery in a hospital, mm -hmm. they made me wear a mask and I was okay with it. I'm like, cool. You know what? I understand it. There's sick people here. But throughout the whole pandemic, you know, we owned a tire shop. I was, I was out there. I was greeting people every day. I was around people who got COVID and I was, I was running three miles a day. I was getting vitamin uh, IV injections every other day. Emily did it with me a lot. And uh, just did what I had to do to keep my body healthy. And I caught COVID a few times, but it was nothing to get over. And I yeah. think what COVID pointed out more than anything is we have a obesity and a, a health problem more mm -hmm. than anything. Yeah, yeah. Because it seemed to affect the fat, the lazy, the overweight, the ones that had pre-existing conditions. Mm -hmm. And uh, it seemed like if we, like our age, younger people who were healthy, it didn't affect us as much. Yeah. You know? For sure. And uh, I don't know. I just, it seems like I'm glad that everyone is more focused on health nowadays. Yeah. It seems like there has been a health change, like where, where people are actually more focused on what they're putting in their body, mm -hmm. on how they treat their body versus pre-COVID when it seemed like everyone just ate whatever they wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's been a, a huge shift. I know not just for my own personal family, um, but just for the the communities I live in. As I see a, a heavier focus on eating right, mm -hmm. a heavier focus on you know all natural foods, yeah. um, less processed foods, more organic stuff, uh, and a huge focus on sports and recreational activity, um, working out, yeah. being involved, like just activity. Activity. There's a lot of it that I see. Is it seems like it's not just popping up, but it's like becoming a prominent piece of our society again, yeah. which is good. Well, have you seen the videos from like the 1980s about like the teenagers in the gym, like on at PE and stuff? Yeah. They're fucking jacked. Yeah. Dude. And then you go in and look at our schools now and I'd say at least 60% of the kids are overweight or have mantids. Easy. You know, I mean, Easy. where the hell did the, did the swap come from? Like, mm -hmm. how did we do that? It's not just from the hormones in our chicken. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's one thing, but we got that and you think about it, you know, our society is, is very reliant on comfort. You know, you can go through McDonald's, 
You don't leave your car. You go through McDonald's, you put in, and I'm just picking on McDonald's as an example, but you go through, you order your food, they hand it, thank you, through the window. You go out, you get that mouth pleasure of like the fish sandwich. You know, it's got the American cheese with the tartar sauce and it's a pickle and it's just so good and juicy. And, or you go home and you bake a chicken and it's not near as tasty, but it's better for you. You know, I just, I think we give into our inhibitions a lot more nowadays than which we can afford it. And it's more affordable than what it used to be. But through the water filtration system that filters everything out except hormones. Okay. Repeat that because I lost it. So they said there's an increase in women taking birth control pills. Okay. Yes. Right. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, it's all these different estrogen levels, all these different hormones in their body. Mm -hmm. They urinate them out. Water goes back through the sewage system. It gets filtered through all these water filtration and <gasps> production facilities. Yeah, I hear what it you're saying. It filters now. everything except hormones. hormones. I've heard this theory. So that they say that like women are ingesting more hormones, hormones than they've ever in history. And they're peeing it back into the water supply. And that the recycling. water filtration system is recycling it back in. And men are drinking it. Oh my God. And so it's feminizing men. I believe it unintentionally well have you ever heard of dr shana swan no she's like i think they call her the dick doctor or the cum doctor something like that okay and her biggest thing are microplastics okay and she said there is a direct correlation between the size of men's taints okay because the the smaller your taint is represents like how feminine like women they have really small taints okay Mm -hmm. and then men have really long taints and she said within the past i think 15 10 or 15 years that the average man's taint has shrunk a quarter inch and is still shrinking today, which shows that there is more estrogen, more, um, you know, all these women hormones. I don't know, Mm -hmm. but she's really smart about it. You can look her up and listen to her and she's very intellectual on how she delivers the information, obviously. But basically that with our, our taints are shrinking because of microplastics and it's causing more feminine, feminizing hormones in our bodies. Mm -hmm. And, more male like testosterone levels and stuff in women and so women's taints are growing versus men's getting shorter um and it directly correlates to that is Mm -hmm. that in um today's society um testosterone levels have dropped i think it's like 186 percent yeah from what they used to be so they said like a a standard man in his 50s or 60s so if you said 55 to 65 years old in 1970 his his testosterone level then as an as a uh, a matured senior citizen, yeah, was still like a thousand plus. I can tell you that I'm 39 years old. I'm embarrassed to say this. I got I have experienced side effects of low testosterone, so I went and got tested. Mm-hmm. My testosterone level is like 340. Mine's 225. Yeah, and the doctor won't do anything about it unless it's below 200. I'm like, when you're below 200, you start losing functionality of organs and human body function and what you need testosterone fuels our entire system as a man exactly and what you need to because they have a fucking i've experienced this with them okay they have a spectrum they go off of 200 to 1000 okay that's the normal range from 200 to a thousand or 950 or whatever okay so we have eight or 700 points in between that they say oh it's normal yeah the spread that's not normal that's a huge spread so you have to you could what I had to do, because I did the same thing, mine was like 225. And they're like, well, that's not very low. I said, bull fucking shit, that's not very low. I said, what's what's the high end? 1,200. I said, I'm at 200. I said, that's 1,000 less than what I'm at. I said, I don't want to be in the spread. I want to be up on the top because I want to feel like a fucking man. I want to feel like a normal man. Exactly. 
and I had to advocate really hard. And they said, no, you got to not be scared for them to know you're wanting medicine. Because a lot of people like me, when I first started this journey, I was very scared to tell them I wanted testosterone. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, just hinting, kicking the can around like, oh, you know, I have low testosterone. I don't, I don't, I'm tired of feeling this way, you know? Well, after we've been doing it, what, four years dealing with this, with my testosterone levels, probably four or five years. Now I go in and I'm like, listen, I'm at 220. I want to be up here at a thousand. You're going to give me the fucking medicine or I'm going somewhere else. And they go, okay. They write it. If you just put it like that, they will yeah. give it to you or they'll send you to another doctor. Mm -hmm. But that you have... You have to be the biggest advocate for your health because no yeah. one else gives a fuck. You know what I yeah. mean? And it took me a hard time to figure that out. <clears throat> and it took me a lot of that can kicking, like, cause I was afraid they were thinking I'm wanting drugs, mm -hmm. you know, cause testosterone, they use it for bodybuilding. Yeah. But they did the I levels. I think that was, that was the, the same level of fear that I went through when yeah. I started going down that path was, um, the original conversation always stemmed to like, or are you having problems with your dick? Yeah. Do you have ED? Yep. I don't yet. Exactly. I don't but want it. But I don't it. want it. Exactly. And I'm too young to experience it. And like, here's what's really bothering me. It's headaches. It's, you know, um, the jitters. It's spacing out. Fog head. Yeah. I yeah. said, I'm just cloudy all the time. I can't sleep. I, yeah. When I do sleep, I don't get rest. Or you can't articulate your thoughts, right? Yeah. When I, I'm like sitting there thinking, I'm like, what the F am I trying to say right now? It's just, it's so mind boggling to me. Yep. And then I start realizing, like, I, I went to a, uh, a testosterone clinic and I was like, I just want to know, mm -hmm. like, before I go to the doctor, like, what's normal? And that's what they told me. 200 to 1200 is normal. And that's a huge range. fucking spread. Yeah. And she goes, but like, she goes, if you were to come in here and you were at like 800 and you said you wanted some, we would tell you you're fine. 800 is mm -hmm. not bad. Yeah. But she's like, you're at 340. You're at the bottom of the scale. You're at the bottom of the spectrum. And she said, we're, we're basing this solely on your age. She said, if I looked at you, you're six foot four. You're athletic. You're in great shape. She goes, you're a dude who you should be 1200, 1400. Yeah. That's what you should be as a man. Yep. And she goes, you're one fourth of that. Yeah. Which is like scary, right? And, and then you got those irresponsible fucking doctors that say, oh no, you're within the spread. They, <clears throat> they don't look at you yeah. as an individual. They look at you as an average number. Yeah. And that is another thing that is very wrong within our healthcare society right now. It is. Is because they want to socialize the system. Yeah. And treat everyone the same, just like they do in the education system, yeah. you know, not to draw a correlation, but it's the same thing. It they is. want to fit everyone into a box. Yeah. But for me, like the, the biggest part wasn't about taking medicine. Yeah. It, for me, it was like, what else? Like if I'm only worried about like the couple of things I know about, yep. what else are the side effects of low T? Yeah. Right. And then the, and the doctor hands me a list of like 65 things. Yeah. Here's all the things that are happening to you. And I'm like, I could check 63 of them. Yeah, exactly. And the other two, I just don't know how to pronounce. <laughs> do you, do you know anyone in Texas yeah. that lives in Texas that I'm, has a Texas address? I'm from Texas. Did you? Know Are that? you really? Do you I have don't. an address still down there? No. Have you ever heard of ways to well? What is it? Ways to well. No. Look into it. I will. Ways to well. They will not fight you. You, uh, they have gold, platinum, gold, silver, and like bronze level. You pay. It's like, I think the most is $500 for the platinum level. It tells you every hormone in your body, what levels you're at, what you're at risk for, and they lay out a treatment plan for you. You're right. You were right. I know, right? That is a weird, it's a weird taste. flavor. Yeah. Flaming pineapple. I don't hate it. Me neither. It's kind of weird. Though. I just can't put my finger on it. Yeah. It's, it's just weird, right? It is. But that weighs to well, they will, 
they'll get all your blood work and they'll call you for like a 45 minute consultation mm -hmm. and they'll be like, all right, here's your testosterone level. Here's your HGH level. Here's your FS, FSH level, your HCG, all these different levels. And they said, and they'll say, well, since you're low in this, this is what you're at risk for heart disease, heart attack, colon, yeah, yeah. you know, all this stuff. And they'll be like, okay, what we recommend is you take so much testosterone a week followed by a peptide and followed by a complementary HCG hormone that will keep you fertile mm -hmm. or whatever, you know, you tell them kind of what you want mm -hmm. and they will lay out a plan. Cause like me, my doctor put me on testosterone. That's it. Just testosterone, you know, and we're wanting to have more kids later down the road, which what does testosterone do when you take it? It shuts down your system. Mm -hmm. So you're only getting it from the, the gel or the shot. So to combat that, you have to take like HCG, human, I think it's human growth hormone, HGH or whatever. But you take a complementary med that will keep your sperm working, okay? Mm -hmm. But my doctor won't give that because she said it's not completely FDA approved. It's off script, blah, 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 proven to work. So you go to Ways to Well and tell them this, and they lay out a plan of different medicines that you're going to take to get your body back in the most hormone efficient level possible yeah. for your age balanced out. and you do blood work every i think two months mm -hmm. and they have another consultation and they adjust your medicine instead of like what my doctor does right now is give you a three-month supply get your blood tested gives you another three-month supply get your blood tested and doesn't change a thing they don't tailor it yeah because they're like here's here's testosterone you got what you want mm -hmm. you know ways to well you're an individual and they 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 do a personalized plan for your health. They are the best company I've ever met in my life. And I, they have stem cells. They have peptides. Their stem cells is placenta driven. So for everyone who uh, doesn't like stem stem cells because there comes from a fetus or abortion, mm -hmm. you know, which I I don't like either. Ways to Well has taken them from the placenta. Yeah, yeah. So whenever a baby's born, they take the placentas, they buy them, they get them somehow, you know. Mm -hmm. And then the stem cells within the placenta have more healing properties than the ones they're taking from fetuses. And that's what they're using for, you know, when your injuries and stuff like mm -hmm. that. So they can do stem cells, they can do HGH, they can do BP157, CT138, all these different peptides that can promote healing, promote your hormones getting better. Mm -hmm. So I would highly recommend looking into that because everyone who's went there has had a complete turnaround and has an amazing story about where they're at now. So it is something to look into. It is. If you're having that level of uh, pushback from the regular medical field. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I, we're we're going to ways to well. Yeah. As soon as we can get our Texas address, we're going. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have to be a Texas resident? You're to supposed be. to be. You have to have a Texas mailing address. Gotcha. Yeah. I can come up with that. But it's it's worth it. I mean, and like you said, I mean, you know, testosterone, it just testosterone alone, it can it makes you feel like less of a man whenever you're you're low. I mean, you just don't feel like yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's wild. I didn't it mean is. to get up on a fucking rant there. No, Jesus just, dude, Christ. that was that one hit me hard because I'm thirty nine now, mm -hmm. former high school and college athlete. Yeah. And I've always been in decent shape. Yeah. I take care of myself. I try to eat right. I work out. Beautiful voice. Thank you. <laughs> um, That's a and, joke. We were on the bathroom break talking about that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but like I was struggling to find even the words to describe how I felt. Mm -hmm. And my wife's a nurse. Yeah. And so I would like tell her like all these things. And she's like, that's normal because you're getting old. And I'm like, 
F that. I'm not old yet. I'm 39. Exactly. Right? Like, I, so I, I legitimately started asking old guys, yeah. guys that are in their 60s, 70s, or 80s. And I'm like, hey, when did you see ED issues when you were younger? Mm-hmm. What was the age level? And they're like, oh, like 75. That was when you had ED issues. Okay. And I'm like, so you didn't ever have these issues of like low testosterone or low, you know, uh, hormones or like imbalances? And they're like, no, like that wasn't normal. And then you start finding out like it's it's been progressing ever since like the 60s and 70s. It's been getting more and more prominent. Now here we are and you know, 50 years later, and it's hitting us in our 30s. Exactly. And then like I started looking into ED issues because that's that's the number one thing that causes men to look into their testosterone levels. Yeah, is ED. Is ED. And they say that the average age of an ED medication recipient now is 26 to 36. Isn't that fucking wild? To think that your dick isn't working at 26 years old. That's like sad. What are they doing? Yeah, I'm like, what in the world is happening? And you know, so I started asking, like, what what do they what do they say is causing this? Oh, well, they say you know the the internet and the rise of pornography and masturbation, all that stuff. I'm like, we don't think it's because our testosterone. We have 26 year olds who their testosterone is 200. Yeah, 200. Yeah, that's not normal. No, and I've been my testosterone. First time I got checked was four year five years ago, so I would have been I would have been 25 at the time, and it was at 125 then non-existent mm. and every time i just I, I did not feel heard whenever it come to the medical industry because i'm telling them what's wrong with me i know my body yeah but they want to tell me you're within the average range yeah and that goes right back to what i'm combating with the healthcare system right yeah. now you know i'm trying to shed a huge light onto how they look at you as an average spread and yeah. not as an individual who needs to be treated. We have reactive like an care. individual. Yes. Yeah. Cause in, in America we have reactive care, not proactive. Yeah. We need proactive instead of treating the symptoms as they come up. Why are we not preventing the disease? Yeah. Because it's harder because it's a trillion dollar industry. Yeah, exactly. And the We're, insurance companies, they don't make money preventing. They make money treating and curing. Yeah. No curing, treating. no curing, yeah, treating, treating, treating right. for life. Yes, exactly. That's like, you know, cancers and stuff. Yeah. Who knows? Well, I legitimately had this conversation with several men, mm-hmm. had it with my wife, the that I I was curious if having a vasectomy after my four children mm-hmm. is what led to my decline in testosterone. Because they said they said, When when did you notice? And I said, just based on timing, I was like, I don't know, three, four years? Well, when did you stop having kids? My youngest has just turned four, so my last pregnancy with my wife was almost five years ago, mm-hmm. right? And they're like, when did you get your vasectomy? And I was like, right after he was born. So four years ago, you got a vasectomy. And Three years ago, your testosterone dropped off the cliff. Is there a direct correlation? I'm going to ask. So yeah. I asked my urologist, who's a woman, um, before we did it, I said, are there any sexual side effects? Are there any uh, physical side effects? Is this going to affect hormone levels? She's like, no, everything still functions the same. But in my head the description she gave me of what happens when you have a vasectomy. And she's like, imagine having an army mm-hmm. that's trying to get to the other side. Yeah. All I'm doing is blowing the bridge up. They're still there. The army's still there. All it's still there. But if you, if you read into like what semen production does, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's, there's two variations of semen comes from, um, your prostate and there's sperm comes from your testicles. Yeah. And the unused sperm in your body gets turned back into testosterone. Okay. But it has to flow through the system. It's the free testosterone. Yeah. Okay. So it has to flow through your entire body appropriately, um, which is what causes so a lot of things. So you put a kink in the hose. Yeah, you so basically tied you, you tied the the water hose in half, mm-hmm. right, in a knot, and then you still turned it on, and, and it's all, all it's doing is building up pressure inside, but it's yeah. not doing anything anymore. Gotcha. So now I I want to go back to the urologist and say, hey, <laughs> here's where I was, here's where I am now. It's only been four years. Mm-hmm. I'm not old. 
I'm not like, you know, decrepit. Yep. And you're healthy. Yeah. You know what, what teetered off, you know, was it, what's this causing? Cause my dad legitimately recommended, he's like, maybe you get it reversed. Yeah. There's a, there's a reason if you're going to have to go on supplements the rest of your life, maybe just get it reversed. Yeah, exactly. Because once you get on testosterone, that's going to stop anyway mm -hmm. or whatever, you know, yeah, yeah. but that's one thing. Hormones, they stop your sperm production and stuff like that. If you don't have a complimentary medicine, but mm -hmm. like you, you don't want kids. You're done. I'm done. You're done. I'm done. You know, so four in, <laughs> so it wouldn't hurt. You yeah. know what I mean? And uh, yeah. I don't know. I just wish, I do wish the medical industry looked at us like human beings mm -hmm. instead of numbers on a fucking chart. Yeah. Cause it, it took me five years of battling to finally get to where I'm getting, getting fixed or my, I feel like getting fixed, you know, yeah. getting my levels where they need to be. Yeah. Exactly. And even then they're not because I still need these complementing peptides, these complementing hormones to keep everything balanced because that's all our, our endocrine system is, is a balancing act. Mm -hmm. It's everything's got to be right. If one thing's off, the ship's going sideways. Oh yeah. You know, but that they don't look at that. If you're in there for testosterone, they look at testosterone. And, but that's what weighs too well is very good at is looking at the overall picture and trying to make you the most whole human being as possible. Yeah. So if, if there was a company to recommend ways to well, is, is okay. that company? I'm going to check them out. You need to. They're awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm, I'm trying to get in there. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully I, cause I've got nerve damage on my leg. Mm -hmm. I almost lost my leg. And, uh, so I'm trying to get in to get stem cell therapy done on my nerves, mm -hmm. especially since it's placenta driven, you know, cause no harm, no foul, mm -hmm. you know, and there's a lot of things people can do for their health that you just have to, you have to be the biggest advocate for your health because no one else will. No one cares. No, you know, you have to, especially the medical industry. <clears throat> yeah. And I think for me, the thing that kind of threw me for a loop was the feeling that physically I wasn't right. Mm -hmm. And mentally, I wasn't right. Yep. And it didn't hit me in the gut until I was taught. I talked enough about it. And people said, that's normal. Just deal with it. Yeah. That all of a sudden I started realizing this is affecting my mental health now. And that's when I, when I, as soon as you say that now you, now you get taken a little more seriously where yep. I'm like, I don't think that my mental health is correct exactly because of the way that my physical health is deteriorating mm -hmm. and in a way that I can't control. And guess what goes away to, from a lot of middle-aged men or, or young adults, whenever they get on, get their testosterone levels, right? Depression, depression, anxiety, anxiety, all, general depression, general anxiety, all that stuff goes away because your body is not where it should be. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's another thing as a whole, America could look to, to treat, mental dis mental illness you know is make oh, yeah. sure the hormones are right make sure you're putting in make sure you're putting in the correct things to the body to make sure because your body is an engine mm -hmm. you wouldn't put water in the gas engine of your vehicle would you right so i think that's where we need to start is from the ground up and build up you mm -hmm. know you put the right things in your body you get the get the hormones you need put the vitamins because that's like even supplements you can take a multivitamin all day long but if your body is not digesting that vitamin and giving that specific uh, nutrient or vitamin that it needs, if mm -hmm. it doesn't digest it right, then you're just pissing it out. So there are different ways to intake a vitamin that makes it more accessible to your body. And it's a one-time test. It's like a genome test that tells yeah. you what vitamins you do absorb well and which ones you don't and how to counter that. And it's like an $800 test, but me and me and my wife were getting that test done because like D3, vitamin D3, you can take vitamin D3 all day long, but if your body has a problem absorbing D3, you're not getting the D3. Right. It's just going right through you. Exactly. So you have to 
combat that in a different way that the doctor, this doctor knows how, I don't know how, mm -hmm. but, uh, there's different ways to take it, to get it into your body, but it all comes for how your body works and how you can get it. And that's a lot of things people don't know, you know, mm -hmm. and it's just, there's a lot that goes into health other than what we've been told. So I'm going to tell you a story though. Yeah, let's do it. And this one, this one throws people cause I don't, I don't see the correlation. I also don't hear it, but I believe in the last year. It has happened like 12 times that someone has approached me in public and asked me if I'm Travis Kelsey. No shit. Dead serious. <laughs> so it's so funny. I mean, that... I can see the resemblance, especially with the beard. <laughs> for real. Well, I was, uh, I was in Canada recently mm -hmm. for a business trip. I was having dinner and our waitress came to the table and like still mid dinner. And she was carrying like the little portfolio that they put the check in. Yeah. And she kind of walked around the table and like there was one empty seat. There was a couple people sitting on the other side. There's like three of us on this side. There's there's an empty chair. And she kind of walked to the chair and she goes, um, excuse me. And we were all looking at her like, we, we, we're not done eating dinner. We're going to get drinks. Like you yeah. just put the entrees down. Why are you bringing the check? Because it just seemed weird. Yeah. And uh, she goes, can I ask you guys a favor? And we were like, sure. And she goes, can I get your autograph? <laughs> and I said. And the funniest thing was, like five minutes before this, mm -hmm. I'm telling this group of people, they're all Canadian. Um, I said, "Yeah, I said it's, it's happened a lot lately. Is I I keep getting mistaken for Travis Kelsey. Yeah, and people have asked for autographs. People have asked, like, hey, can I get a picture with you? Oh, I had to put it off. And uh, they're like, what do you do? And I said, well, one time I said, I'm not Travis Kelsey. It's you know, I thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> and the guy was like, can I send a picture to my kid? And I was like, sure. Stands up, takes a selfie, sends it to his kid. 10 seconds, like he's literally like, I can't believe I met Travis Kelsey. Mm -hmm. 10 seconds later, his kid texts him back. He's like, dad, that's not Travis Kelsey. <laughs> so then I'm telling this story. And this group of salespeople is just like busting up laughing. They're like, no way. That's so stupid. No, like, you don't even look like him. You don't sound like him, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Like we're pretty much the same size. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I'm, I, I think. Travis Kelsey is about six, four. And you guys do have a lot of the same facial features. I think we do. Yes. But we're about the same height. We're about the same weight. Obviously, I think he's a little buffer than I am. He's in better shape. He's a professional football player. He exactly. should be. Yeah. Super Bowl champ. Um, right. Go Chiefs. Go Chiefs. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then the girl comes over like five minutes later and she's like, can I get your autograph? And I was like, no, I'm, I'm like, what do I say to this? And one of the girls at the end of the table goes, who do you think he is? And she goes, you're Travis Kelsey, right? <laughs> No, I'm Jason Kelsey. <laughs> I can't. I don't think I could pass for no, either one of them, no. to be honest. No, that's funny. Um, I'd love to meet them, though. Oh, I listen real. to their podcast. Yeah, they those dudes are hilarious. They are. I They're like them. So funny. They are. Um, but this happens, and then I'm tell. I tell my wife all these stories, and my wife's like, "You're so dumb. No one thinks you're Travis Kelsey." And then she went to Kentucky with me last week, and one of the guys on the trip was the original. He's the first person who ever mistakenly asked me if I was Travis Kelsey. <laughs> so I tell the story. He's like, he's like, oh, I didn't really think that. I'm like, you did, David. You right. sent your kid a picture, and he was like, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I mean, like, I knew pretty quick. I'm like, but you still but thought you still it at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I did. He's oh, like, I, I really did. Man, that would not be a bad thing to be mistaken by. I mean, I know. I know my sociopathic ass. I, I would be like, yeah, bring me a steak and I'll give you an autograph, you know? I'll sign a picture. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, geez. Then when they get home, show their son or whatever. That's not. Oh, They're like, that's not Travis Kelsey. God again. Right? <laughs> I think you could stick us on a podcast together and people would be like, you you might sound a little bit alike. Yeah. But you don't look alike. <laughs> but I mean, in passing, 
I could see maybe, how, maybe, yeah, yeah. I could see how it could get. Well, if you see me out, like this is very casual for me. Yeah. If I'm out professionally, most of the time I've got a cowboy hat on. Yep. Professional vest. attire, yeah, yeah, vest or a suit jacket or something. I could see that there might be a, a mistaken correlation, but I've got. I'll just say it, Travis. If you're listening, I got a better beard. Oh, <laughs> called out. Yeah, you do have a good beard. Thank you. I can't grow a beard worth a fuck. That's why I don't even try. I don't even try. I keep the five o'clock shadow, and that's. Well, I'm really ugly under this, so I keep I grow it out and cover it up. <laughs> the beard is the best disguise, right? It is beard I mean, and a hat. You it, can't even tell I'm ugly. Exactly. I'm a I'm a mediocre guy right now. <laughs> so uh, throughout, uh, kind of switching gears a little bit. Yeah. Here. Um. So throughout all your business and uh, what you guys are doing in the treat collecting mm -hmm. um it's taken you to some pretty cool places in the world right it has tell us a little bit about that oh man um so in, domestically mm -hmm. i i get to travel around quite a bit um for trade shows conventions conferences um local i say in our local market um springfield missouri manhattan kansas kansas city chicago omaha nebraska um memphis tennessee spots like that mm -hmm. quite a bit but we do a lot of trade shows that are in Florida. So we do Orlando a couple times. We do Anaheim, California, um, Phoenix, San Antonio. So a couple of spots um, that I think are cool. Very interesting places. I to love visit. San Antonio. I love Texas. Yeah. Obviously, I told you before. Yeah. I am from Texas. I'm Texas East is an Texas. amazing place. Yeah. Yeah. Ironically, I'm from the same town as Patrick Mahomes. Really? Yeah. My oh. cousin went to high school with him. No shit. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Does he ever come back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does he? Yeah, as a matter of fact, I was in my, I have an older cousin, Cindy. She's amazing. Uh, I was in their house like two, man, two Thanksgivings ago, 2020 maybe. Mm -hmm. um, and they live in Tyler, Texas. And uh, her husband, Rob, big Cowboys fan, as we all are down there, mm -hmm. bred into us. Yeah. Um, man cave, got his pool table, leather chairs, Cowboys paraphernalia signed isn't, all over the place. Isn't the Cowboys uh, saying like next year? I think you're right. I'm just, I'm sorry. I didn't mean yeah, to take yeah, the yeah, shot yeah. there. No, it's, I, that's but... a, that's a valid statement. <laughs> um, and I'll, I'll tell you that uh, when people ask, I always admit I am a Cowboys fan. It's embarrassing now. Mm -hmm. They were awesome when I was a kid. Oh yeah. They you were know, America's, they were America's team. team. Yeah. We, we ran the NFL. Yeah, at one for point. Sure. Um, so I've been a fan a long time. Mm -hmm. I'm from Texas. This is in, ingrained in us. Yep. I have not been a bandwagon chiefs fan. Because I married into a Chiefs family. Yeah. So I've been a Chiefs fan when they sucked. Yep. You yep. know, 16 years ago. Oh, my God. When they were still terrible. Oh I've been riding that one for a while. I remember been those been a days. lot of games where we got blown out. I mean, just demolished. Oh, yeah. Yep. All I could think was, how much did I spend on these tickets? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Exactly. Just to watch them lose. Right. People and, used to bring brown bags yeah. for the end of the game so yeah. they could put their head in the brown bag. Right. And walk back out <laughs> so to the car. pathetic. But I've been a fan since the since I married into the family, and I have always cheered for the Cowboys and the Chiefs. Mm -hmm. And then when Patrick Mahomes uh, got picked up by the Chiefs, it was a little more like hometowny for me because yeah. he he is from Texas. Yeah, yeah. And I truly believe he's them boys. He would have been on the Cowboys had they not picked up Dak Prescott. Yeah. Shortly before that, isn't it wild? He went down to like what pick thirty two or thirty four, <sighs> something like so that. So many passed on him. Mm -hmm. I guess. It's kind of weird how Andy Reid was able to see what no one else saw in that kid. Yeah. And I think him redlining for that mm. first year and going behind um, Smith. Uh, yeah, yeah. What's his first name? Uh, was it Alex? Alex. Alex, Alex Smith. Smith. I think that really helped him a lot because mm -hmm. Alex Smith was a great fundamental quarterback. He was. You know, he was solid. And I think he taught him a lot about the, the patience, the waiting, because, you know, Alex would never throw far. 
mm-hmm. you know, but Mahomes, he's just a wild card. He'll just, he'll throw that some bitch out there. He'll throw it. He'll run it. He knows he'll your brother Kelsey's going to grab it. Absolutely. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But anyway, back to Mahomes visiting hometown. I was in, um, <clears throat> in the man room and there's all this autographed cowboy stuff on the wall. Yeah. And I asked, where'd you get all this stuff? And Rob says, oh, my best friend's, uh, an agent mm-hmm. for like 80% of the cowboys. No shit. Right. That's what he does. And I was like, cool. And, anybody famous anybody crazy he's like well it's you know it's most of the team right it's the local guy he handles mm-hmm. a lot of that stuff and then i see this red stuff underneath the chair in the corner and i was like what is that like why why is it, it looks like a jersey and he was like pat dropped it off the other day i said what do you mean pat dropped it off he said oh my homes no like he swung shit. by the house and i was like swung by the swung house, by the house. Like he just swings in here <laughs> for lunch would you make him a grilled cheese yeah like, exactly what? And he's like, oh no, we're we're friends with his mom. Like we've known, oh my God. like we're actually like really good family friends. So he swung by and dropped off a bunch of autograph stuff. Oh, that's awesome. And I told him I'm not putting it on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I can't, I'm a Cowboys fan. I can't put that up there. I was say, well, hand it over here, bud. I'll put yeah. it up on the wall. I was like, well, I'm a Chiefs fan. <laughs> Please. I love him too. Man, could you imagine, honestly, that level of fame? No. What worries? I always me? said I wanted to be filthy rich. Yeah. I don't want to be famous. That's a whole different level yeah. of anxiety and stress that well, people, those people deal with. People don't. For real. People don't look at you like a human being anymore. Mm-hmm. They look at you. I mean, let's just take, you know, like Patrick Mahomes, Rogan, uh, Haynes, mm-hmm. Jocko, all those guys. Whenever they're out and about, they have to have such a good bullshit meter because, you know, everyone has their hand out about something. Mm-hmm. Hey, let me talk to you about this good business deal. Hey, let me talk to you about you investing into this. You know what I mean? Yeah. You. It almost takes away a... a hu- and it would be tough to make friends. It would. It would be. Yeah. If you didn't have the friends prior to being that famous it would be a scary place to be as far as trying to make friends yeah because who do you trust everyone's fake in this industry mm-hmm. you know but i mean i think about that like from that level because i've met i've met famous people mm-hmm. i know a handful of famous yeah. people um some of them uh, i have a i have a friend who's uh in the nfl actually mm-hmm. um retired quarterback and i hung out with him for an entire day the first time i met him had no clue who he was yeah i actually had to google him oh. I, was like, I was like wait a minute uh, aren't you in the NFL? He was like, uh huh. I was uh-huh. like, what? I bet he loved that though. That you were able to be with him all day and treat him like a normal fucking human being, just a bro, broing out. Funny thing was, I literally, I looked. I'm sitting across the table from him at a restaurant. And I go, we're the same size. I could have been in the NFL. <laughs> he was like, no, you couldn't. No, you couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I bet that's why you guys are friends now, is because yeah. you treated him so super normal dude, like a normal dude. Yeah. And I bet that's awesome guy too. Oh, I bet. And I bet that's a horrible, like hard thing to find. Like, is, <clears throat> is that true camaraderie, that true friendship of someone not trying to get something over on you, Yeah. but just be friends for the sake of being friends. Yeah. And the, the funny thing that you say that is mm-hmm. because when I look at Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes, yeah. like guys like that, I, I always, you see them on TV and they are, they're like superhuman yeah. athletes. When you see uh, Travis and Jason doing their podcast, I see them. And I'm like, damn, I would be friends with those dudes. Yeah. Like, they're so awesome. Down to earth, their normal personalities, guys. their jokes, the kids, the, you know, they yeah. call them Uncle Trav. I was like, like that, it, it, I feel like it would mesh with my own family. Yeah. That's how cool they seem. Yeah. But yeah. then how do you make friends with what I say, normal people, right? Yeah. Because, like you said, there's this persona that everybody's going to ask for something. Everyone's going to have their hand out about, yeah. and, you know, that's one thing, like, as you work your way up the ladder of, of, famousness or I don't know, not famousness, whatever you call it, being mm-hmm. famous or even monetarily like trying to get rich or whatever is that what 
you notice is if you, anything you've ever done for someone, they're going to let you know about, mm-hmm. you know, like remind you like, Hey, remember that one time I did this for you. So whenever you get it big, re- remember me, you know, have, that's funny. People already say that. Oh yeah. Already. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm not rich. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I get it. I, yeah. I get it a lot, man. People come in like, or just see me about, you know, the, the, it's just weird. You know, they're it like, oh, get me on your podcast. You remember that one time where I, I helped you go catch your dog or something. It's like, I thought we were friends. I thought that that's what we do for each other. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. It's weird. Like we shovel each other's driveways when it snows. Exactly. That's right. what we do for each other. Right. You know, I don't know. It's weird. It is that, yeah. I mean, that dude, that's all that opens a whole different door of like, you know, interpersonal relationship building because <laughs> I tell, I tell people now I only have like three or four friends that I would call brothers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's not because I don't like uh, other people. It's not because I don't love um, the interaction I have with people, but there's just something so genuine about the relationship I have with these guys that I've known for 15 or 20 years. They know you for you. Yeah. yeah. They, they, they know they knew me when I was broke. They yep. knew me when I was stupid. They knew me when I was struggling, yeah. coming up, coming up, yep. working on it. Like they, they've been a part of it in exactly. some cases, you know, exactly. And they see all that and it's, it, it really is different. Well, they appreciate you for the human being you are yeah. not for what you're going to give them or what they can, they can get from being associated with you. For you sure. know what I mean? That's like me. I don't have no friends. Like I've got maybe, <clears throat> maybe two friends, you know, and it's just, it's hard to make friends, mm-hmm. you know, especially in today's world, because you don't know who's fake and who's not, Yeah, you know, it's something you've got to guard very very cautiously is the friendships. Yeah. And when you do find the good ones, they're worth keeping, you know, like you, I I saw on a podcast uh, a while back that this it's an older Italian guy. He said, you don't need a bunch of friends. Mm -hmm. You just need two. Yeah. With two, you can take over a whole country. Damn right. Right. Yeah. That's what he said. He goes, you can, you can take over an entire country as long as you get two guys will do anything when you ask. Yep. Exactly. You're done. And that, that like going back to the military, that's the reality of it. Yeah. Well, the, the one thing that I miss so much, is the camaraderie and brotherhood that those guys, they were in it. They were in it with you, you know, mm-hmm. thick and thin. They didn't, they didn't give a fuck where you came from, who you were, how much money you had or what your last name was. They just knew you had a job to do. They had a job to do. And you, you lived together, you ate together, you slept together, you know, you did everything together. And so you, you become closer than family with those guys. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing I miss dearly about the military is those brothers because yeah. it's hard to find those connections outside in the civilian world in the business world mm-hmm. you know it's it's very hard it is i think in the business world it's even tougher because oh. it's almost instantly looked at as like angles what is he trying to get yeah and the, the the flip side of that is in the business world it's a perk yeah because it's a perk of having friends everywhere yeah. or having a, a, a you know a strong network because they help you it out. makes you help business easier. Yes. You don't have to go work so hard if you can work smart within your network. Yeah. Right. And I think that only requires being a good person. It does. You know, and hundred percent. And think, I think if you're genuine too, people exactly, see it. Exactly. They can they can feel the the genuine kindness that comes out of you as a person. The yeah. energy. You I think we all admit that energy. energy out there. I agree. People can tell. Yeah, people can tell if you're a good person yeah. or a bad person or a fake person or a real person. And you know, like you said, all it and that's what And that's what I think lacks in society so much today is genuine, real people. Yeah. Because what do we, we live in this social media culture. I'm I'm the worst of it. You know, here I am on a podcast with cameras and mics and everything else, but I always am very mindful of what I show people who I am. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't, I try to show people exactly who I am on here as if they come into the tire shop and talk to me, I'm the same person. And I try to keep that because if you lose the reality of who you are, I think you lose yourself along the way. 
And then cool. If you make it in five years, but you're sitting there telling yourself who, or asking yourself, who am I now? Yeah. Cause you've given up so much of who you were to appease the masses. Yeah. And that's what I will never do is I'll never not say something because it'll piss a group off or have an opinion because it'll piss someone off. It's yeah. like, fuck you. This is what you get. This is who I am, you yeah. know? And I think that's what society is missing today is that realism because everyone's wanting to be likable. Everyone's wanting to be, uh, uh, advertisable on, yeah. on social media. Yeah. Branded. Know? Branded. Yeah. yeah. Do what the brand wants, you know, and then they turn into your puppeteers. And I think it's just be your own brand, be your own brand. Yeah. You can build something yourself. Yeah, absolutely. It's fucking hard, but you can do it. Yeah. You, you gotta know? bootstrap it, man. You it takes got time. It. Yeah. And it takes work. Yeah. I was having a talk with someone uh, last week. They were talking about manifest manifestation. Mm -hmm. And I believe in manifest. I believe you manifest your own reality and your own destiny. And this person, they were like, well, I always put it out in the universe. And I, I say, this is what I want. And I'm trying to manifest. I said, yeah, but what work are you putting in? They just kind of looked at me blank. I said, manifestation is not saying I want to be a millionaire. Manifestation is telling yourself, I want to be a fucking millionaire. And then you put in the fucking work to be a millionaire night, day, tears, yeah. blood, sweat. You have to put in the work to to get the life that you think you deserve because mm -hmm. nothing in this in in this reality is owed to anyone. Yeah. You know, the only thing that you're given is a name and air to breathe. And sometimes that's not even free. Yeah. You know, and I think that's what a lot of people in our society have lost is that that pursuit of something greater than themselves and putting in the work. Everyone thinks they're owed it now. Yeah. But they whenever it comes to actually putting in the hard work, they they fall by the wayside and that's yeah. why they don't make it. You know? Yeah. But that's the difference between like you and me. We are working towards what we want. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't And we talk about and it. And we talk about and it. And we are about it. And we are about yeah. it. This is who we are. Yeah. You know, we are I I can't speak for you, but me, I'm cutthroat in my industry. You know, if it's a business decision, I'll make that business decision. You know. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, if I can help people i'm helping people mm -hmm. but i stay true to who i am and i know you do i know you do but it just yeah i know there's some vitamins in the bottom of it that's what that is is vitamins do you see it i'm gonna drink it i know right but that's what i saw that too and i was reading on there and it's like got a bunch of different multivitamins in it i mean i'm gonna pour bourbon in this cup afterwards yeah, right? so who cares <laughs> but back to what i was saying is like you have to manifest what you want, but you have to be willing to work for it, I guess is what yeah. I'm saying. And I know you put in the work. I see it. You send me snaps every other day and you're hustling. Yeah. You know what I mean? And But I think to your point of uh, putting in the work, there's a level of manifestation that is mindset driven. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't, to me, I don't believe it matters how much work you put in. Mm -hmm. If you don't believe you can build it, exactly. you won't. Yeah. If you don't get up every day and say, I am the best. Yep. You know? Yeah. I'm going to build something great. I'm going to change the world. I'm going to change my life. I'm going to take care of my family. I'm going to build the future. Yeah. You never will. Nope. Doesn't matter how hard you work. No, because you're, you're you don't believe you can do it yourself. You have to have a strong foundation. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've interacted with people in the business world that are like that, where they think, you know, uh, I'll give you an example is I, I talk about things that I, I genuinely dream about. Mm -hmm. I send exotic homes to my wife, my brother, my CFO, my partners. And I say, Hey, I want to own a, I want to own a house in Thailand. Mm -hmm. That was another place I got to visit. Yeah, recently. I, remember Thailand. That. That um, I want to own a, I want to own a home in Thailand. I want to own a home in Bali. I want to own a home in Mexico. Like, yeah. And they're like, dude, like you're all over the place. Like, that's crazy. Why would you say that? Because one day I'm going to do it. Yeah. 
And you know what? He's like, well, you know how much my brother said, you know how much it's going to cost to travel all these places? I'm going to buy a jet. Yeah. And I'm going to be a pilot. Exactly. I'm going to fly my whole freaking family to Bali if I feel like it. Exactly. And he's like, do you know how much jets are? I do. Here's one I want. It's $4.6 million. <laughs> exactly. Do you know how much it costs to maintain it? Roughly $2.5 million a year. Yeah. So you I already get, know. You I'm know already talking about it. I'm already building towards it. Yep. And at the end of the day, if you're not willing to dream that big, you're not dreaming. No. If you're not dreaming big enough that someone says that's crazy, you're not dreaming. Exactly. And if you're building towards something that you didn't dream about, you're never going to, you're never going to achieve it. You're never going to chase it. You're never going to go get it. Yep. Cause it's all starts at the mindset. How, every, every day. Just think about it, man. If you didn't believe in yourself to do what you're doing, how would you work as hard as you do to get that? Absolutely. Cause it starts in your mind. Absolutely. Yep. I mean, if you listen to anyone who's successful, they always tell you, you have to, you have to believe in yourself. Mm -hmm. If you want to be a millionaire, you start acting like a millionaire. Yeah. You know, you work. Before you ever are, you're just working at it, but yep. you got to already think you're, you're heading there. Yeah. You got to think you're the shit. Yeah. And people, they mistaken a lot of that with cockiness or being full of themselves or just overconfidence, but it's, it's just people manifesting what they want, who know what they want. Yeah. You know? And I think that's where some fall to the wayside is. They're too humble mm -hmm. and humble is good in certain situations. It is. But when you're talking about your life, your family's life, what you want out of this world, there's no humility there. you got to make it. Yeah. You know, you got to want it so bad that you're willing to bleed for it. Yeah. You know, I heard someone say one time uh, recently that the, uh, the transition from boyhood to manhood is as soon as a boy realizes that nobody's coming for him. Exactly. Oh my God. Right. That is a good quote. That's the moment he becomes a man. Yeah. And that's the moment he starts building for his future. Exactly. Because he realizes nobody's coming. Yeah. Nobody's handing it to me. Nobody's doing it for me. I got to do it myself. And, and then, some, they say some people that hits at like 12, mm -hmm. some people it's like 35, 40. Yeah. I think that it like, realistically, I always had it in me, but it hit me like when I had kids. Yeah. When you so realize I was, I was you like, have more lives. To I was like 25 it. years old and I was like, what am I doing? Like legitimately, what am I doing with myself? Yep. I've got a good job. I make good money. But what am I doing? But what am I doing? Yeah. I can't, I can't pass this down to my kids. I can't let this be the example that I see my boys grow up thinking, oh, my dad works his butt off every day, 12 hours, 14 hours a day. We never see him. Yeah. And this is all we got to show for it. Exactly. If I'm going to work my life away, make we're going to have a private it. jet. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. But you know, and that's another thing is like in today's world, it is the best time to go for it and want it. I mean, oh, yeah. you've got social media, you got all this stuff, but the fact remains is there are less and less people willing to work for it. Mm -hmm. There is less hard work happening now. And the ones who work hard just overtake industries. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can name several different in several different industries, but the, all, the thing they all have in common is they fucking go for it and they work. They're not scared to do the work. Yeah. But, if you go on TikTok or Facebook or Instagram, most of those, have you seen the fucking NPC guys on TikTok? Yeah. What the fuck is that, dude? I don't even know. We got people acting like NPCs and people are paying them money to say, oh, I like roses. Oh, I like ro over and over again. Like, cool. They might make a quick dollar, but they're not going to make a retirement. They're not going to have a legacy. They made $100,000. Cool. Great. But that's where it ends. Yeah. You know, people doing things of substance, like the treat collective, like my podcast, like that's the things that are going to be around for a mm -hmm. long time because we're putting in the work, we're sweating, we're creating value too, creating value, yeah. and creating Back a to brand society. and creating a brand. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's what I think about that is like, it's just now's the time to go for it. If anyone wants to go for it, because there's not many hard workers in society nowadays. There's not. I saw 
um, some statistics recently on the transitions of, of, uh, you know, retiring mm -hmm. businesses, development industries. And, you know, right now is the biggest shift of retirees in the history of mankind. Yeah. And it's not just people leaving and quitting jobs. It's people that are giving up businesses. And so the, the people who are going to be taking over the world are our age. Yeah. Right now. There's a big hole to fill and not there many is. to fill it. And there's not nearly as many of us as there are that are leaving. Exactly. And Which so creates a bigger opening for an empire. It does. Yep. And so it's number one, are you willing to go get it? And number two, do you have the balls you, yeah. to say, I'm jumping off this cliff? To bet on yourself. Yep. To bet on yourself. That's yeah. like the craziest thought in the world. Like if you're going to bet on anything, bet on yourself because exactly. you can control the outcome. Exactly. Right? You know how hard you can work. Yeah. You know how hard you can work. But that might also be the reason a lot of people don't do it. Exactly. Right? They're like, I'm not betting on me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I won't pay the mortgage next month if that's the case. <laughs> Hell, I've been there, man, where I can't pay the mortgage next month. You know yeah. I mean? But you've got to be willing to get in those scary situations in the trenches, you mm -hmm. know, because in the trenches is where, you know, iron sharpens iron and mm -hmm. diamonds are formed under pressure. And how do you become a diamond if you live a luxurious and cozy life your whole time? You've got to be yeah. willing to suffer. Yeah. You know, and that's something a lot of people in society nowadays won't do is yeah. suffer yeah because they're scared of it mm -hmm. go circling back back around is we live in a world of comfortability yeah people want to be comfortable want to be comfortable all the time yeah so how was Th um, switching? thailand yeah how was thailand thailand was crazy bro it was like i obviously had never been overseas um me going international was north or south mm -hmm. you know i'd been to central and south america i've been to you know canada um lots of caribbean islands but i'd never been to europe or asia um, so it was, it was different. The, the trip alone was crazy. It was like with the time change and all the travel it was like a 35 hour difference from the time I left to the time. So I left Shit. on, I, I left on Saturday evening mm -hmm. and when I landed in Thailand, it was Monday afternoon. God, because talk about, how was that? They're actually, they're actually in the future of us. That, that's how far they're 12 hour difference, but they're a day ahead of us. Almost. Oh my God. How was that like jet lag wise? Was that kind of hard to get? It didn't bother me going there. It bothered me coming back. And yeah. it was about, it was probably about five days of actual transition, like not being able to sleep at night. Um, I was only sleeping like two or three hours a night and then I would wake right back up and be like, I'm ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Right. Um, so what was the coolest thing you did over there? Oh man. Uh, the culture in Thailand oh, is crazy. Bet. The tours. We did uh, like one day we, it was, it was busy. We were there 10 days. It was a lot of business and Asian cultures are incredible. They, I believe what I experienced was um, Asian businessmen putting so much focus on relationships and experiencing life together mm -hmm. that for us to do business, it was every day we, we started with like breakfast at 7 a.m., and it was breakfast, then it was boardrooms, it was meetings, it was site visits, it was facility tours, um, it was program development, it was all of this stuff was happening. And then it was immediately like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna send you back to the hotel, take a shower, get changed. We got dinner. Dinner is from seven to nine or seven to ten. Long dinner. Long dinner. And dinner was crazy because there was so much food, there's so much stuff to try. Um my experience with uh, the Asian culture was that they think I'm hilarious because I eat anything <laughs> um, and I love spicy food. Uh -huh. So they were like, try this. And I'm like, sure. I just <laughs> throw it in the mouth and eat it. And they're like waiting. All of them, like 12 guys are like waiting for me to freak out. And I'm like, that's all right. Give me something else. And they're like, we wouldn't eat that. Like, that's way too spicy. And I'm like, I'll put two more of them in my plate. I don't oh, care. I love spice. Love spice. Me too. 
I was eating some Vietnamese food and these little green chili pepper looking things. Everybody was like, we would never touch that. It was way too hot for us to eat. And I was just eating them with chopsticks raw. Just didn't even care. <laughs> just chomping them down like Skittles. Um, but I felt like uh, I, I'd done a lot of business with Asians uh, in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, China, Thailand, Korea, different places. All via Zoom uh, or email, right? Mm-hmm. But being there and getting to experience their culture, their food, their relationship building, the amount of time and effort that they put into getting to know you. And the amount of respect that they show back to the acceptance of the way they do things was, it was just tremendous. That's got to be kind of a, a a breath of fresh air. Like whenever you go and they're wanting to know the person they're working with. Absolutely. Because it seems like a lot of times, like just around here and with normal businesses and stuff, they, they don't know you, you know, mm-hmm. they know your business, but I think we've lost a little bit of that along the way as know yeah. who you're working with. Yeah. Know who's on the other side. And I think that's important for everything like sponsors, mm-hmm. like brands that you work with and advertise for. Like if you don't know the person behind it and what their values are, how do you know if they align with you? Right. You know, and that's a yeah. pretty cool thing where they get to know you as a person, you know, during the business. Mm-hmm. Cause that is a major part of the business. It was, it was, it, I think it even threw my wife for a loop a little bit because I would tell her like, I didn't get, you know, I didn't get home till like two in the morning. Yeah. She's like, what did you do? I'm like, well, we went to dinner till 1030. Yeah. And then afterwards, yeah. And then afterwards they were like, we're going to take you to this little karaoke bar or whatever. And I was like, it was still like, we're sitting in there singing karaoke together and we're still talking about business. Oh, that's awesome. Right. So some dude singing, reading the words on a screen and the other 10 of us are over in the corner talking about the plan, the development, the site, the, what are you, what are your thoughts? What's CapEx look like? Like what's the investment total? Like it was just a crazy time to Mm -hmm. be involved in that scenario. And it was so much bigger than I think I would even expected going in. That's awesome. You know, it was crazy. Yeah. I bet that was, was it kind of a culture shock? Um, a little bit. I will tell you. I've been wanting to torch you, son of a bitch. Um, so. Am I, is it on me? No, it's completely off. Can you, uh, turn this? Um, the camera itself needs to be facing up more. How's that? Right in the middle? Yeah. Okay. Cheer, man, I wish I had you a better cigar. I've got a whole bunch of cigars. Okay. Because you torch the ends, right? Yeah. I'm still not the most cigar connoisseur out there. Shout out to Buffalo Trace. Thank you for the cigar, man. You're welcome. You're welcome, man. I've got, uh, I've got some awesome Buffalo Trace branded cigars. I've got some Buffalo Trace. I've got Eagle Rare. I have um, the Pappy Van Winkle family ones. Really? Oh, yeah. I would love to get some Blanton. I've had Blanton's ones, um, and I've had some Eagle Rare ones before. Oh, my God. I love Blanton's. That is some good stuff. I've only had it once, but it was good. Because they have like a – I think I was in Kentucky when we had it. And uh, they had like a limit. You could only buy one bottle. Is that Blanton's? Yeah, if you go to the – most of the places are like that okay. with, with Blanton's. Okay. And... I thought that's what it was. That's... Oh, yeah. Oh, dude, this cigar. It's good, isn't it? It is so good. Let me describe to you guys what we're doing right now. You see this? That's a Buffalo Trace cigar. Amazing. I didn't even know they made these. Super smooth. Delicious. It's got like a little hint of vanilla. It does. Mm-hmm. They're so amazing. That is good. And then I got those cheap-ass acids. 
Don't worry about it. No. Because these acids have... Uh, that one works a little better. Do what? These acids have gotten me through some some times. I love those. I mean, I really do. I love the sweet taste. But man, this one, it's a mouth pleasure. Yeah, so Thailand... Oh, I like where your head's at. Thailand was um, an awesome experience. But the, the mix, I'm going to say the mix between religion culture and history that you get to experience when you um are visiting some of the sites mm-hmm. um we got to do some of the uh temple tours oh and it was incredible like you're in this downtown temple district um and man just some of the architecture um so what i would call is like the traditional thai architecture is very apparent mm-hmm. Um, and then you can even see through the history and the progression of the like historical royal family and how their architecture developed was uh, there was even the transition where they said we want to be more like England and an English colonial type uh, architecture. So you see some differences in the buildings. Okay, really really cool. Do they have like any Christian um, influence on their architecture? Kind of like what we see with like the angels and the gar- or gargoyles and stuff. Or. Um, I would, from a religious aspect, yes, mm-hmm. not from a Christian aspect. Okay. Um, theirs is very heavily influenced by Buddha. Okay. Um, and then there's a lot of um, history and architecture and design and even artwork mm-hmm. that's really derived around what they would call demons or monkeys. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really funny looking. There's white ones, there's black ones, there's brown ones. Uh, they've got to all have like a unique like face and um, tone even to the artwork that they have. But they all play a really important role in the development of the history of like um, overtaking cities, uh, maintaining strongholds in certain places, yeah. how they built the city around the river system. Like it was really cool to hear the history um, and religious aspects of the Thai people as a whole. But to see some of the stuff that's there is just incredible. We got to do a, um, they call it the Bangkok Canal Tour. Mm-hmm. So you're in this long, skinny boat. With those giant like V eight motors on the back with oh, a propeller on a yeah. on a pipe, it's oh crazy, and they're just zipping through these canals like like zipping through like houses, right? So there's house people are out there eating. It's kind of like a floating city. Oh, hundred percent. Oh, like at least on the riverside, right? Yes, yes. Um, and we're just like ripping, roaring through the backs of these. It's almost like alleys, but it's full of water. Um, and uh, they would stop. And there's spots where you like throw a piece of bread in the water, and like hundreds and thousands of catfish would come up and try to eat. Like it was huge catfish it was mm-hmm. crazy to see um do you remember then, the name of that river i'm just curious i didn't know it. i don't oh. i would have to look it up yeah did you guys whenever you ate was it pretty much fresh like yes. hot food yeah oh yeah yeah i thought so the seafood that oh, you eat there is crazy yeah and it was it wasn't like pieces of fish it was like everything from like crab to squid octopus different fish variations mm-hmm. all kind muscle clams all kinds of stuff it was crazy pampered oh yeah <laughs> yeah the exchange rate was interesting too yeah um because when you look at the price tags of things it's it kind of like freaks you out a little bit because it's everything's in like thousands and millions yeah of bot of bot yeah b-a-h-t i think is bot. Okay. um i couldn't tell you the exact exchange rate yeah but i think it's like one to 38 or one to 40 something like holy that holy crap um so pretty cheap for a, a usd yeah yeah for US dollar. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, you turn in a couple hundred bucks, like two or three hundred dollars, you're gonna get seven to ten thousand bot. 
Um, but then when you go buy things, like you could spend, you know, 800 bucks or 800 baht mm-hmm. on dinner. And then when you think about it, you're like 800 baht is like $20. Oh, nice. <laughs> it sounds bad because we're so used to hundreds being uh-huh. so much money. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. It was pretty crazy. That's interesting. Uh, were you able to pay with USD over there or was it strictly bought? No. You wouldn't want to, would you? Because you'd probably end up nope, overpaying. Probably. Yeah. Um, yeah. As soon as, as soon as we got there, they were like, you got to go to like a, like an, uh, an NX or a, um, currency exchange. yeah, Western union type yeah. place and do a, do a currency exchange. Mm-hmm. Um, and they basically just, you agree upon an exchange rate and like, here's what the current market is. You give them some USD. Show give, them your show them your passport, and they give you a bunch of bot back. I got you. And is it pa- is it paper coins or both? Both. Okay. But they just, I mean, obviously, coins is what you get in change in some yeah, cases. Yeah, but yeah. That, um, like eight hundred bot. Like carry, say you know you exchange hundred. It's bucks. very normal to carry around a thousand dollar bill in bot. Okay, a thousand dollar bill. They have those high bills. Yeah. I didn't know if you had to just carry up like a bunch of hundreds or if they had higher bills. Or, no. Yeah. Yeah. I got um, you. I think the lowest denomination I saw on paper was twenty. Okay. So Which, like, that's like cents. Yeah, it was like 20, 20 baht, 50 baht, mm-hmm. 100 baht, 1,000 baht, 500 baht, maybe. Like there's oh, yeah. different denominations of it. That's cool. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Did you bring some home for the kiddos? I, I brought like two or 3,000 oh, dollars awesome. with me. That's awesome. Yeah. I bet they like that. I brought them a handful of coins too. Yeah. yeah. That's something they can keep forever, you know? Oh, yeah. And it cultures them, you know? Uh-huh. That's really interesting. Oh, yeah. It was cool. Mm. Boy, that bourbon's good. I never get mad at Four Roses. No, no. It's so smooth, so sweet. I like it. Mm. Good, right? It's delicious. Yeah. Hey, cheers, man. It's good seeing you. We've been we've been planning this podcast for over a year. We've been talking about it. We finally here, finally doing it. Well, you know, I think we could do it more often if you like. I'm in, man. You're... You tell me when and I'm in. Deal. I will. You have an open invite. And anything I can help with the collective, I want to. As far as... With the homeless and the the shelters, you, I, I just I love the cause. You yeah. know, I think it is it's just something that such a human issue that anyone can get behind. Mm-hmm. You know, and I love the fact that someone's actually speaking out and trying to enact a change instead of just talking about it. Yeah, I think we've a, we've we've kind of adopted a an unofficial motto yeah. um, for as a company, and we say that we have we have a passion for pets, but we have a heart for humans, and that's okay. that's always been our push, is because. The reality of the pet industry is without without the humans to love them, yeah, there wouldn't be a pet industry. Exactly, and vice versa, right? Yeah. If if there weren't pets to get some of these people through the situations they're going through, in some cases, especially the homeless, that pet might be the only the only family or yeah. the only friend that that homeless person has. Yep, and so that's even become a, a a small focus of ours within the the world of homelessness and shelters is that there's shelters that won't let you bring your pet with you. Really, and especially for teenagers, they will decide to sleep on the street versus a shelter mm-hmm. because they're, they're keeping their pet. Yeah. Right. Well, a lot of people talk about dogs, like it's almost a psychedelic effect, you know, like you, you like zap in with that dog and you connect on a, almost a spiritual level, you know, it just switch gears here. Yeah. But going back to what we were talking about, like success and building your brand and stuff is one thing I have really tried to focus on is enjoy the process, mm-hmm. enjoy life, you know, instead of every like deferred happiness is what they call it. Like I'll be happy after I make it to here. Yeah. I'll be happy whenever I make this much money, but actually just enjoying being where you're at. There's a difference in people. And they say that it's, mm-hmm. it's the mindset of those who enjoy the result yep. 
are a different breed of people. And those who are truly successful are those who enjoy the journey. Yeah. So like for me, I want a private jet. Yeah. I want an island. I want all that of stuff, course. right? I want all the yeah. I want a, I want a gazillion dollars. Yeah. I'm not doing this because I love a gazillion dollars. Yeah. I'm doing this because I love what I do. You love your life. I love what I do. Yeah. And if you the that's the thing is like I think that's what a lot of people miss is that if you're not enjoying the fucking process of it and the journey, then you're never going to be happy at the end result because you're always going to make all be, the money in the world. Yeah, you'll still be miserable. Exactly. And I think I don't have any money and I'm not miserable. Same. Right. Yes. I'm, I just, I love chasing it. Yep. Me I too. love building it. I love, I love going after it. Yes. Love me, all of it. Yeah. I mean, you know, like there's months that we struggle just paying the house payment, you know, mm -hmm. but enjoying your life where it's at right now is one of the most important important because what if you do die tomorrow yeah and you never made it to that goal knock on wood i'm gonna tell you a quick story yeah so my mom calls me yesterday me and my wife went to the, the mizzou arkansas game oh nice it was awesome oh, I bet. Mizzou I love mizzou. yeah oh my god 48 to 14 or something <laughs> yes. just put the beating on them <laughs> it was senior night at, oh. in fayetteville uh -huh. so it was kind of rough the stadium was like half empty mizzou oh. stomped them yeah <laughs> right <laughs> um Every, people were leaving telling us congratulations like have fun at the bowl game kind of thing it was crazy um and there was a tremendous amount of mu supporters there yeah the miz zou chant yeah was like as loud as the razorbacks chant oh yeah it was nuts that is psychedelic and it, it was crazy yes. yeah it was crazy um we're on our way back my, my mom calls me and tells me she went christmas shopping with my dad and she's like so i bought your dad a pair of muck boots mm -hmm. for christmas and your dad told me that he wanted me to put his old muck boots in the box and wrap them up, put them under the tree. Because <laughs> he's taking the new muck boots down to the garage. And he's going to hunt in them. So he hunted them yesterday uh -huh. after he got home. And he killed a deer. So he, he was like, oh, it's the boots. Yeah, right? yeah. He's got the lucky boots now. So my mom was like, I just don't get it. Like, that sounds so dumb. I bought you these boots. Like, they should be under the tree. Mm -hmm. and my dad's response was, I could be dead tomorrow. I got new boots. I'm wearing them today. Exactly. <laughs> it's exactly true. what he said. It's true. I mean, yeah. and that goes back to enjoying the process. It does. You got to enjoy where you're at. Yep. You got to love life every day. It's, it's nuts to think about that. And if you don't, man, that's a sad life to live. You know, mm -hmm. I, a lot of people go through their whole life thinking maybe one day I'll get to a point where I can be happy. Yeah. And a lot, a lot of times, I mean, it's life. A lot of people don't make it to that point. And what do they have at the end of the day? But even then, I think if you make it, you're still miserable. Exactly. I, I know, I know for me, I know a lot of really rich people and most of them are miserable now, yeah. but they were miserable then. Deferred happiness. Yeah. They just defer it farther. Yeah. Yeah. They just pushed it off. Yep. They're never going to really be happy. Yeah. Especially not chasing a dollar or a business or a, an event or a function. Do you think a lot of those, like the ones who have already made it, who have made their money, do you think they're almost chasing the adrenaline of the next big thing? Like, okay, let's take the, uh, the submarine, uh, that went down to the, uh, the Titanic. Yeah. You know, that billionaire that, and his son, horrible thing, but what causes those millionaires or billionaires to risk so much. Do you think it's that chase of adrenaline to try to get that feeling of when they were broke, trying to make it rich? Possibly. You know what I mean? I will tell you that I get into this with my wife all the time. Mm -hmm. She's, she always asks me like, why do you work so hard? Why do you do all these things? Like yeah. why, you know, why are you running five businesses? Mm -hmm. Why are you putting in so much effort? Um, and the response is never money driven. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, I want the money Yeah, and it'll come. Mm -hmm. But the response is that I love it. I, I get that adrenaline. I get that rush off of the creativeness of yeah. what I get to do about the challenge. 
about building the relationships, you know, experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would throw this out there for any famous person, any rich person, any CEO, doesn't matter. If you said, Nathan, I, I would, I think it'd be cool if you met that person, I would make it a personal mission of mine to go meet them. Yeah. And I'd figure it out. Yeah. Right. You get there. Yeah. I'll yeah. make it happen. Yep. If you said meet Travis Kelsey, I will find somewhere to meet him <laughs> and I'll shake his hand. In a grocery store yeah, or something. Doesn't matter. Yep. Right. Exactly. Um, because that to me is the journey and it's, it's the exciting part about life. Um, and you know, it's the journey is what we're building and what yeah. we're doing, but it's who you're there with. It's yeah. what you're trying to accomplish. Yep. The excitement comes, you know, from just being in it. Yeah. Right. And I think there's so many people, um, I've even had these conversations with my partners, um, or with friends or family is they, they think like that what we're chasing will be the end. Yeah. And to me, I'm like, when we get to that, that's just a goal. It's just a goal. Right. So if, if, if you're like, we want to, we want to be a $10 million treat company. Yeah. I'm already thinking I want to be a hundred million dollar treat company. Exactly. 10 million is just the goal we're trying to reach. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if it's not to be a hundred million dollar company, it's to, to sell it and start over and do it again and make a bigger impact somewhere else. Exactly. Because if I'm good at it, I'm good at it. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And I want to keep doing it. You can do it again. Absolutely. And that's the thing. Like money is so fungible. You know, and I, I really, I don't know, money is just something that affords you to be able to do more and make an impact, really. And like, that's what the whole treat collective uh, thing is. Yeah, their, money, money is a tool. Is, money is a tool. It's a tool that he we have to He wants to be have. able to give away a million dollars. So how do you do that? You make enough to be able to give that away. And then his next goal, let's give away five million. Let's give away 10 million. Well, you've got to make more money to be able to do that. Yeah. And it's just hitting the goals, which in today's society, capitalistic society requires money. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what people, a lot of people lose is they think money is the happiness. Like like you get that money. That's what makes you happy. No, no, no. It's what you do with that money or what you're given or the business or the power, the influence. Yeah. What you do with that is what can afford your happiness. Yeah. yeah. I heard, I heard uh, someone say on a podcast one time, they said, if, if someone says that money can't buy happiness, that's the only people who say that are people who don't have money. Yeah. Because money can buy you whatever you want. Exactly. And it doesn't matter if it is a physical item. And I, you know, I, I try to preach this back into our business. Mm-hmm. If, if money can buy happiness for us, it means it's changing someone's life. Exactly. And if I know that if you gave me a million dollars, I could change, you know, 10,000 kids lives forever. Yeah. Then I'm going to do it. Yep. Right. Yep. And that's, that's what makes me happy. Yeah. That's what makes Jordan happy. It's what makes Paul happy. It's, it's what drives us in this business is making a positive impact in the community, but also changing someone's life. Yeah. And there's, it's gone even deeper than that, that, you know, we, we talk about the dreams and goals of the business. It's not just to like have a, a program that helps get kids off the streets. Jordan and, uh, and Paul and I have even discussed setting up, um, like scholarship funds to put kids into certain universities Yeah. and then creating work um, programs in certain pieces of our industry, ingredients, logistics, transportation, warehousing, processing, manufacturing, having homemade people. brand and having people, you know, if you want to talk about labor and yeah. labor shortages, I said, if we peel a kid out of despair off the street, we feed them, we house them, we educate them. And then we put them into a workflow where they feel like that's their family and their life. Yeah. You talk about loyalty. It's not just loyal to the company. It's loyal to the industry. To, just yeah. like Jordan. He exactly. is, he is loyal to the pet industry because it saved his life. Yeah. And so now he wants the pet industry to save other kids' lives. And in return, there'll be more Jordans. There'll be more Jordans. And that's what he said. He goes, I only need to impact one soul that will then impact the rest of history. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to, I don't have to change every kid's life. I just got to change the right one. Just change one. 
I change the right one, it's going to change everyone else after that. Exactly. And so that's the focus is like, do as much as you can, as often as you can, for as many as you can. Eventually, you're going to get to the one that can change it for everyone. Yeah. And you just keep going. That's beautiful, man. I mean, I love that. I, I love the mission focus, the drive, and just the, the mission statement of your guys' company about wanting to actually help people. And I don't, I just, I don't, I think there's a, a deficit of companies that are willing to do that yeah. and willing to help people. And I think as a society, you know, I don't know if it's, it was capitalism or if it's just the business culture as a whole that uh, it just seems like everything is so selfish nowadays, you know, and like these charity events, all they look at them at is a write-off instead of a, a human, a human element to it, a yeah. human element. Who are we actually it. helping? Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and what lives are we touching and what can we do with those lives that we touch? Yeah. Cause like you said, you can homebrew your own people that grow up get a scholarship for your company, come to work for your company. And it's integrated as a family element. Yeah. And they're like you said, loyalty to a brand. Mm -hmm. loyalty to a company to an industry yeah which and that wheel just keeps going yeah. and you build more and more and more and then you have an empire yeah you know i don't know i, I know you and i have talked about it in the past um but that was a big proponent of us launching our brand was we started this company went out like i said mid-covid yeah went out in the the marketplace got a lot of no's because a lot of people were just saying, we're not taking new brands. We're not launching new things. We're not, we're not doing anything new because we there's so much uncertainty, right? Yeah. Well, you fast forward through like the end of 20, or I said, you know, mid 22. And we got into a program with target and congratulations about that, by the way, man. Thank you. That's awesome. I will tell you the one thing I don't like about target is that they're not everywhere. <laughs> I wish there were more of them. Um, I think there should be a Walmart, uh, a, a target across the street from every Walmart, Walmart you yes, know, kind of yes. like dollar general and family dollar, right? <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, Target took us into a program and the, the stipulations for being in that program were that you had to be a great brand. You had to be a great product. Like it was very strict. Mm -hmm. The accelerated portion through that, that helped us land the win, so mm -hmm. to speak. Uh, it was like 500 companies worldwide applied. They, they sifted out probably 400 of them, physically interviewed 100. Of the 100, they picked 10. Mm -hmm. We were one of the 10. Wow. And of the 10, they only made offers to four companies. And I think only two, maybe three accepted and moved in. We were one of them. Yeah. Um, and so we launched in Target. Um, we did all eight of our SKUs. So we have eight products. Yeah. Um, they're in Target and I think like 450 stores or something in a couple of different regions. Mm -hmm. And then we went through a full year cycle, did another review, and we launched eight new SKUs. So we're, we're going to have 16 total products in Target nice. stores. And we asked them to expand us into half of their locations. So we want to be in half of every Target in the nation. Um, so we're going to have 16 products in there and we are what we would, I would consider us a no name brand. Yeah. We're not a big national brand. We're not, not Purina yet. or Blue Buffalo or one of those crazy big names. Yeah. We're nobody, but we're, we're making an impact. We're getting shelf space. We're selling units. Silently destroying the industry. Yeah. You know, just, just coming winning. in to shake it up a little bit. Yep. Um, and our mantra on the shelf has always been be the best product. Mm. It's easy to win when you're the best product. Yes. Right. And so we made the best product. And I truly believe that from a nutritional standpoint, from an ingredient standpoint, from a quality standpoint, we're the best on the shelf. We're awesome. Um, for us, and I think the connectivity to Target was the mission that they saw behind it. And it wasn't just a, a corporate responsibility mission. Like, oh, mm -hmm. this is what we support. And you'll see a lot of brands do that, right? Like, yeah. oh, we give back to the, you know, 
this this fund yeah well then you see them once a year they give a check for a thousand dollars and some guy that you've never heard of is yep. there and then just shoot them on the way but for us we're physically volunteering in homeless shelters yes we're physically giving back to kids that are underprivileged in our communities we're physically donating time money resources and efforts and then that's part of our corporate responsibility is saying it is our responsibility as people who make money to take care of those who don't right Yep. It's not just uh, something that we we flash in a pan as a marketing scheme. Yeah, it's part of we your, actually do it. Yeah, it's part of your guys's life yeah. as far as the company. Yeah, and so much so that we don't donate to a random cause. We started our own fund. Exactly. We have our nonprofit. You know where it's going. Yeah, and we can control it. Yep, because there's a lot of you got to be careful with like nonprofits or mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. take Wounded Warrior for example. You know those CEOs or the people in charge, the presidents or whatever, they were living lavished lifestyles yeah. off of the donated money. Yeah. So therefore you doing it in house makes it, you know, where it's going. Yeah. You know, it's enacting that change that you guys want. Yeah. 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 That's, man, that's very admirable. And I, I love that. And the crazy part is all three of us partners have other jobs, other businesses, yeah. other consulting functions. We do what we, we collectively probably have 35 years of pet industry experience between the three of us. Wow. And we probably, I'm just guessing we probably have seven to nine income streams mm -hmm. spread among the three of us that we're collectively working to pay our own bills. Yeah. So we're not, we're not, we're not taking money out of this business. We're literally, we're self-funding and bootstrapping the development of what's going to be a national brand. Mm -hmm. And we're pouring money back into the development of a nonprofit to make an impact in kids' lives. That's what you call betting on yourself. If there was betting. ever, is there was ever, ever like I stacked the chips yes. and I was like, all in beat me. I'm running, <laughs> like, but it get on the back. It takes that. Yeah, it takes that. I mean, I saw a picture of like, I can't remember. It was a few weeks ago. I saw a picture of Jeff Bezos and he was behind one single computer with Amazon in a handwritten banner behind him. And that's where he started. But guess what he did? He bet on himself. Yeah, he he saw he saw something and he went for it and he got it, you know, and mm -hmm. that's what it takes. It takes that risk Yeah. to to reap that reward. Yeah, and it's just it's awesome. And I, I love what, what your guys' company is doing. I love what it's about. And, uh, oh, God, I'm excited to see what it does in the years to come and what you guys do with this. And uh, so you guys are in Target right now. We are. Uh, is there anywhere else you're in or just Target exclusively right now? No, we're so we're in Target in a couple of different regions. Mm -hmm. um, hopefully it's going to be expanding into a lot more um, and with a lot more products. And we're currently in Rural King. It's a big farm and fleet chain in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. I think the furthest west they go is Missouri, but they go east all the way to Virginia. Um, and then out west, we're in Rayleigh's. It's a grocery chain. Yeah, I know there. You know Rayleigh's? Yeah. yeah. yeah love Rayleigh's. Yes. Yeah. They're an awesome grocery they store. Um, and then we are currently working with our grocery distributor, UNFI. They are, if you, I'll just, I'll plug UNFI. If you're trying to get a product, a CPG product into grocery, or the masses, they're an awesome distributor. Unify? UNFI, four letters. UNFI. Yep. Okay. Um, and we were talking to UNFI this last week, uh, right before the holiday, about expanding and developing and trying to grow our database of stores. Mm -hmm. And our rep literally just said, here's all the chains I would go to. Here's their managers' names and emails. These are personal friends of mine. Send them the deck. No shit. We're already in distribution. All they can do is call me and order it. Nice. Right? How, it was that fast. How hard was the distribute as far as getting your product... Hang on. Let's, I gotta, I gotta use the restroom. Let's I take a too. restroom. Okay. okay. Let's take a restroom break. Invited to start like five different podcasts. Yes. And probably only two of the five guys. I'm like, I couldn't carry in a conversation with you, yeah. dude. 
Yeah. You'd be you'd be asking me like you'd be literally reading me so, questions so, and asking uh, me to respond. What do you think about the current client? Yeah, 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 yeah. You gotta. You, that's one thing about podcasting. You have to click and have a fluid a fluidity to it. Absolutely, because there's some stupid podcasts out there. There are some horrible ones that that just get tremendous amount of yeah traction because the people have chemistry with each other. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. they can carry on a conversation. Yes, exactly. All there's one takes. I would plug. I would, plug I would, them. I would plug love them. to meet these dudes. Plug them up. Two British guys. It's called Shits and Gigs. Yes, I have seen them. They're hilarious. They are awesome. Awesome. If I had a podcast, I would invite them to be on it just to listen to them talk. Oh, They're yeah. so funny. And they oh, back yeah. and forth. You know, they read they read uh, like Reddit lines yeah, to yeah, each other yeah. and they get reactions. I'm like, dude, that's like the funniest thing in the world. Reddit, man, that place gets wild. I also love the the slang that British people use. Oh, me too. Yeah. And hearing their accents. I've got a friend. He's British. If they ever hear this, it's James. Okay. He's the he's the light skinned one that does most of the reactions. Yeah. And if it gets him, he goes raw. <laughs> I, don't even, <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but he's like raw, like holy crap. There's so much. I don't think there in the world there is so much amazing culture, and we can all find something that we get along about. I don't understand why we fight so much. Because at the end of the day, dude, most people are fucking amazing. They are. And they're fun to be around. And you can find your you can find your people in almost any culture. Yep. You know, and I just, And if you're open to it, yes. You can connect with people that you have nothing in common with. Just willing like most of the time, if you can break bread, dude. Yep. Sit down and eat dinner with them. Yep. Tell me about your story. Like you'll you'll hear some incredible people. Yeah. And that's tell what, some insane stories. Well, that's why businesses usually start at a dinner. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean it it just warms you up to each other. Oh yeah. Dinner and drinks is how 90% of my business gets done. Yeah. Yeah. It's not actually like sitting down cold calling. Yeah. If I legitimately, I could say this, if I wanted to meet somebody that I was having trouble with, mm -hmm. I would just ask, yeah. I'd be like, Hey, how do I, how do we have dinner with this guy? Somebody I know somewhere is going to be like, Oh yeah. Like we can hook it up. We hook it up. Yeah. Let's go get dinner. Yeah. We, I actually just did when I was in Kentucky. Yeah. I had dinner with the COO of a billion dollar pet company that we do business with on the ingredient side. Okay. And the CEO uh, and director of business development from another probiotic company we do business with. And I literally just sent an email. I was like, who wants to get dinner? We're in town. All of them were like, deal. It was that fast. That easy. It was that fast. That's awesome. Yeah. Like who doesn't want to go drink some bourbon and eat a fat steak? Exactly. Right? People crave human interaction. They do. And, and people think it's weird. Yeah. That like, they were like, well, how did you get that meeting? I didn't get a meeting. Yeah. I said, hey, me and my got wife. Dinner. Me and my wife are coming. Let's grab dinner. He said, can I bring my wife? Absolutely. Yep. I'm glad you did because my wife had somebody to talk to. Exactly. <laughs> and then you have that common ground. You know, yeah, yeah. it's not in such a tense setting as it far is. as, oh, shit, we're going to be talking about And you know that we're sitting there. I'm not going to say anybody's names. <clears throat> yeah. But we're sitting there having dinner and we're talking bourbon, wine, steaks, beef, you know, Kentucky. Hell yeah. Horse races. And then all of a sudden it was guns, silencers, hunting, yes. reloading. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I love you. We have more. In <laughs> and he, he was like, he's like, screw pet business. Like, when are we going hog hunting? Exactly. I was like, yes. yes. Let's go hog hunting. <laughs> yeah. We need to go hunting soon, dude. Absolutely. Remember our plan we talked about? Absolutely. I'm, God, one day we're going to make it happen. One day. No, oh, yeah. If I can get this thing big enough where we can fund it, we're doing it. Yeah, yeah. I promise you. Well, I will tell you if you wanna you wanna throw some stuff together. I don't know how you feel about like videoing the yeah. interaction. Yes. Um, posting clips of it to this, you know, the podcast yeah. and stuff. But I could get us on to some awesome properties in Texas to do some hog hunts with some incredible people. Let's do it. I don't know that you want to interview them necessarily, mm -hmm. but the, the interaction, the conversation, the discussion, they're, yeah. they're incredible human beings. And that's what I think would be a good side to see, you know, it is the camaraderie that comes with the, you know what I mean? And the people you meet. Because at the end of the day, 
like you're talking about business. Business is very much a people's. It is. The commodity thing. is business it's and people and time. Yes. Those are the three things that if you put the right people mm-hmm. in the right business and spend enough time together, they'll accomplish anything. Exactly. That's exactly. It. That's, That's all it, it takes. Yeah. It takes like-minded people mm-hmm. who, even if they don't have anything in common, who can form common ground somewhere to like each other. Yeah. And you can take over an empire. Absolutely. That's what it takes. Absolutely. I got to experience that when I was in Thailand because one of my uh, business partners that I work with, um, who's from Asia, Mm -hmm. they live in Canada now. And he brought his two sons who just happened to be a little bit younger than me, like 26 and 30. Um, If they ever hear this, they'll know who I'm talking about. Yeah. But these two kids, I say kids loosely because they're younger than me, but these two kids were not only like super hungry to learn about our industry and the side of the business that they've never experienced, but they were genuinely some of the most down to earth like real people to hang out with. Yeah. Like awesome conversation, awesome dinners, awesome interaction and experiences. Um, they were like our personal tour guides in Thailand. Yeah. They legitimately, they, even when they left, they left like two days before us. They were like, we booked you uh, a Muay Thai fight. The oh. van's going to pick you guys up. It's taking you to the fight. Here's your tickets. Like here's dinner. Like yeah, set you everything up. snaps of that, dude. That and I was like, amazing. I'm at this Muay Thai fight and like, I'm used to like MMA at yeah. UFC stuff. Yeah. This is almost like religiously ritualistic. Yeah. The way, like I'd never seen you. UFC, you hate each other. Yes. 90% of them are trying to kill each other. In Muay Thai, it's like, it's so culturally different that they're like, I'm going to kick you in the face until you die, but I'm also going to catch you when you fall. Yeah. And I'm going to pray for you while you're down there. And then afterwards, we're going to hug, and it's whoever whoever lost, lost, and whoever won, won. Exactly. It's a respect. It is. And, you know, that's where, you know, the core of martial arts comes from is, you know, it's a respect thing. It's it is. see who has the best technique, but at mm-hmm. the end of the day, you don't hate each other. Like the whole UFC hating each other, it sells. It sells. It sells tickets. It is amazing it to sells watch. brands. I fucking love watching it. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, they, they're still martial artists that respect each other, I believe. Oh, yeah. 100%. I mean, there's probably some beef, like, with... Habib and McGregor, like throwing the bus or the chair through the bus and stuff. <clears throat> Some things you can't come back from, but the majority, I do think, respect each other on a level. You know, it's just fight self. I always wanted to know, like, I have a tremendous amount of respect for <clears throat> Conor McGregor. Like, yeah. He's, he's an, an amazing an businessman. insane businessman. Yep. And I think businessman trumps his ability to fight. Yes. Yes. It does. Mm-hmm. And I truly believe that if, if you look at what he did to build his brand and his business from the proper 12 whiskey, yep. you know, to the different brands he started, the things he's to funding fighting Floyd Mayweather yeah, to boxing. Yeah. I think that their disdain for each other is professional. It's professional. Yeah. Which like I, we get paid to hate each other. Yeah. We might end up on a yacht someday. We'll just make sure nobody takes pictures of it. But that's the thing you know? does with Habib. Okay. Just take him. Habib, Norma, Norma mm-hmm. get off, you know, the Russian guy, mm-hmm. I, his culture. I don't know if he understands that it was all for show. That's what I, I don't know about that. You know, those Dagestanis, they take But everything. isn't he from like a really small yes. village? Dagestan. Like yeah. actually a village. Yes. And I think there it might be a little more personal. Yeah. Yeah, right? exactly. Where like, he's like, yo, yes. you like, insulted you my had, mom. Well, like whenever I'm going to have to kill you now. He was sitting there right. knocking the hell out of McGregor on the ground saying, let's talk now. Let's talk now. You know, yeah. like. Yeah. But that, you know, like you were talking about. And McGregor was like, bro, it was a show. Exactly. He's like, oh, dang, we're playing here. Why? <laughs> you got me. You got me. I'm done. But, but the thing with McGregor, like you were talking about, that he can sell this stuff. That's why the guy hasn't won a fight in five years. 
but he but he sells out arenas. He still gets to pick who he fights. Yeah, sells out because he sells out his pay per views, <laughs> mm-hmm. and that's what it takes. Because he's an entertainer at the end of the day. Exactly, just like Colby Covington. Yeah, you know everyone hates Colby. Mm-hmm. Everyone hates Covington, but yet he sells tickets. Yeah, and that's why he is such an ever sought after fighter. Yeah, and he hasn't fought much recently, but he's getting ready. December sixteenth, he's fighting um, oh uh, Edwards, who just knocked out Usman for the title. Mm-hmm. That's going to be an amazing fight. Oh yeah, I'm so excited for it. Yeah, you guys have to come up, come up to St. Louis for a fight night sometime. Let's do it, man. Because we actually we actually have UFC fights in St. Louis. Really? But yeah. Let's do it, dude. There's an arena in um, I forget the name of the casino. It's downtown. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, the Amistar? No, no, no. That is that's in St. Charles. There's one downtown, like right on Laclede's Landing. Okay, yeah, we. I remember there. the name of it. Yep, like but they gold th- something maybe. Possibly. Yeah, I've never been to one of the the big fights, but my brother has. Yeah, I, I bet mean, they are just yeah. wild. I would love to fly to Vegas too. <laughs> Me too. And go to a big one. That's a dream, dude. It is. One day I'm gonna go. Mm-hmm. We should go sometime, dude. We will. Let's do it. That I mean, just the feeling of being right there by that octagon as these gladiators just climb into the cage to literally destroy each other. Mm-hmm. You know, I bet I bet it's just a feeling like none other. Like a football game times 20. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, you probably get the adrenaline rush just being there. Dude, hearing them just light up whenever that music starts. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's like Usman. You, mm-hmm. Kamaru Usman never lost a fight. Got a roundhouse kick to the head by Edwards. Knocked out. Dude, that stadium was shaking. So loud. You could feel it, I bet. You could feel it. Yeah. That's mm. oh, fun, man. You know, and it's like, that's, well, that that is a great example. The UFC of something like the Treat Collective, who's trying, who's making the name for themselves and stuff. No one took the UFC serious when they started. They didn't. I remember when the UFC first got into it, yeah, and I think it was like looked at as like back alley brawl, barbarian type stuff. sport. Yeah, yes. Like, what are these people doing? There's yep. no gloves, you know. They're not. They're not just punching. They're just like Taking all out trying to down. kill each other. Yeah, yeah, in a cage, right? You know, and they were it's so uncivilized. You know, they the the networks wouldn't even air it, and then now look at Dana White, a multi billion dollar company. He took the UFC out of Las Vegas, out, out of a certain casino because they banned him from counting cards. Mm-hmm. So he's like, yeah, we'll just pull the UFC from there. You'll never get a dime from us again. Right. You know, having that kind of fuck you money. Yeah. You know, the that pool, the, power. Yeah, the pool, the power. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think power trumps money. Mm-hmm. You know, you money will buy you whatever went, but power influences the money. It does. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Dana's got the power. He's got the money too, but man, he's got the power. You mm-hmm. know, he built that thing from the ground up. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I respect him for that. One of my favorite clips of all time. I would love it if he heard me say this out loud, but one of my favorite clips of a podcast. I don't even think it's a podcast. I think it's an interview is Dana White. And he says, fucking bet on me. Yes. Fucking bet against bet me. Against bet me. against fucking me. Bet against me. Because I'm going to do it. Yeah. I'm going to do it. You bet against me. And I'm going to do it. And he did it. Yeah. Didn't he take UFC public? I, like as a, a traded company? I think he did. I think he did, but I'm not positive. Yeah. But, but I, I will tell you that I love, uh, I love like TikTok motivational clips of these guys, right? Yeah. Andy Frisella, Dana White, Joe Rogan. They're talking about these, these different um, things in their life, mm-hmm. and that's like one that I literally saved that TikTok of him saying "fucking bet against me" and just listen to just, it. Just yeah, yeah, bet against me. See what happens. That's I love I, it. I eat it up. Me too. I got because one. the things that that fuel me, <clears throat> the things that make me get up in the morning, is someone telling me that that my dreams are crazy. Yeah. Someone telling me I'm stupid. Someone betting against someone me. betting against me, saying yeah. like, "Oh, geez, like 
you're you're so dumb you're wasting your time your life your money whatever and i'm like fucking bet against me say dude. i fucking won't and I say won't. i won't yes yeah. yes well that's like i love the quote one day I hope they interview you and ask you about the time you talk to me. Exactly. That's what I How hope. does that feel right. to be so wrong? Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's like my favorite quote is most men live a life of quiet desperation. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's so true. That I, I hate saying this out loud, but I think it, it touches the core of who men are. But that's one of the only phrases that I've heard said out loud. Yeah. I, it's a Joe Rogan, I think, said yeah. that. Yeah. And it like brought tears to my eyes because I was like, man, that is that is literally what we men struggle with yes we literally live a life of quiet desperation yes trying to get out of that just trying to get out of it yep and it takes betting on yourself someone betting against you yeah what are those odds right exactly i'll take those odds I'll all day long them. yep because you know what you're capable of mm -hmm. yeah yeah and the minute you bet against <clears throat> me is the minute i know the odds yep right and you know i know what, you what you're do. willing to give up to make sure i'm wrong yep and i'll i'll beat it and you know what the fuck you have to do to yeah. prove that and i'll beat it yeah every, every time, time. And that's that's what it takes in the industries. Absolutely. It doesn't matter what industry. No, it does not matter. It doesn't. It's across the board, all industries, you have to be cutthroat in business, but yet a, a personable person who can form the relationships. Yeah. But when it comes to business, you're a fucking Viking. You're yeah. ready to get that battle axe, grab that shield, and go to fucking war. Yeah. One of our one of our other side businesses is ingredients. So we yeah. do we do yes, ingredients, yes. right? And so, uh time you uh you make your own ingredients for your treats correct mm -hmm. yeah that's badass we also sell ingredients to other companies who make foods and treats no shit yeah okay okay i'm sorry uh, i didn't mean to no you're good yeah that's that's a whole different level of business i was on a, i did a radio show mm -hmm. not too long ago uh, it's like 90 i don't know 99 7 or something goofy it's like a con conservative talk radio okay in st louis yeah um did an interview with a uh, state senator i think is who has the show and interviewed me. Okay. And he was asking me about um, our upcycled ingredient programs. And that's part of what we do is we go, yeah. we go develop ingredient streams. So we may not be the actual manufacturer of an item, but we'll, we'll say we want this. It doesn't exist. And I, I have a couple of programs I've developed. Mm -hmm. One of them is a 100% us sourced grass fed, grass finished, organic certified, USDA humane certified, no antibiotic ever beef program. Damn. That is, they currently produce beef for Whole Foods and retailers in the commercial grocery space. Yeah. And we developed byproduct programs to take their trims, their fats, their leftover meats, their organs, and we use them as uh, ingredients for the pet food industry. Oh, that is amazing. And so when people say, oh, yeah, I, I do that too, but like <clears throat> it's over here, and I'm like, yeah, but you don't have all these yeah. certifications yeah. and you're, you're blending stuff that comes from Australia or you're, you know, you're not, you don't, you don't have all of these because I know we're the only ones that have it because we developed it. Yes. We control it. Yeah. You know, we know, no. you know, I know it. the farms it comes off of. I know the grocery stores that the main product ends up in. I know the ranchers. I know the processors. I've met the slaughterhouse guys. Mm -hmm. I've met the truckers who haul it. I know everybody in the middle. Yeah. You Every know, single person, you know, exactly what's Absolutely. in it, where it's going, where it's from. Mm -hmm. And that's something that could disrupt the industry. Yeah, it, it will. It will. We've been working on it for about two years, and it's just now like hitting mainstream where we've had a couple of huge pet companies. Ironically, they mm -hmm. knew about it. They met it. They met the program through me, mm -hmm. and then they called. They try to go directly back to the source. Of course. Well, the direct source, the the ranchers and the slaughterhouse and the processors, they not only are they friends of mine, yeah, but they were like, we don't want to do that. 
So as soon as they called them, they're like, you got to talk to Nate. And they're like, well, we don't, we don't want to talk to Nate. We want to talk to you. And he's exactly. like, I don't do this. You got to talk to Nate. Yeah. Nate's and that's where that friendship comes Absolutely. from. Absolutely. That's that partner, that relationship building. Absolutely. That loyalty. It was the same. It's the same guys who told me that, that buying a private jet wasn't unrealistic. Exactly. The ones that yeah. bet on you. And their, their exact response to that was not only should you buy a private jet, you should get your pilot's license. Yeah. Cause do we it. have our pilot's license. Okay. We have jets. Because they're betting with you. Yeah. They're not betting. We're riding this pony. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. That's fucking Come awesome, do it. man. That's awesome to have that motivation behind you. Yeah. You know, because that's what it takes is a team. Yeah. So it was actually the motivation for me in that side of the business was I dabbled in it. I consulted in it. We were developing a lot of things. And it was like two years ago, uh, we were at a conference in Kansas City. And a colleague that we had worked with in the past, we'd known him for a long time in the industry, um, big family business, big in industry. You know, they're, they're really well known in that yeah. space saw us at the conference and his exact words were what the hell are you guys doing here and i was like well wait a minute like what do you mean you know we we work and play in this space and he's like yeah but like what do you really do right like why are you here are yeah, you meeting... like you're not worthy yeah like what do you like you're, who do you work for and i was like mm-hmm. uh, i work for my i haven't had a job in years i work for yeah, myself it's right it's just yeah, me it's me bro and that was this the statement of like, well, who who are you trying who do to be? You think you who are? do you think you are? Like, yeah. what what are you actually doing here? And I walked away from that. Like, my partner Jordan was like, "Man, that was rough." Like hearing hearing that conversation, and I was like, "No, it wasn't." Yeah, I literally quoted Dana White. Yeah. I was like, "Bet against me, bro." That's what you need. See what happens. That's what fuels it. That doubt. Right. That doubt is a fuel. It's a motivator. So now my my benchmark milestones are: How do I be bigger than him? <laughs> I love it. I don't even care what what else happens in the middle. Yeah. As soon as I'm bigger than him, I'm gonna be like, "Hey, remember that hey, one time? Who are you, bud? What are you guys doing here? Exactly. Cut through. <laughs> what are you guys doing? That's here? what I'm talking about. Yeah. The warrior part. Yeah. You have to be like that because, dude, the people, these big fish in the industries, will eat you up and spit you out alive if you are not a warrior. Mm-hmm. Because they do not care. Oh, no. Going back to the CEO of Ozark Healthcare, mm-hmm. do you think he gave a shit of laying 130 people off? Didn't. No. He probably got a bonus out of it. Exactly. Probably got a bonus out of yep. it. Yep. He padded his resume by doing it, and boom. he, And that's what it takes. You've got to be you've got to be as compassionate as possible, but as cutthroat at the same time to know where to be cutthroat. Absolutely. Yeah. I always say that in that arena, and this is you know kind of a hit my heart when I started listening to your podcast mm-hmm. about the subject yeah. and reading your post. Yeah. Um, is that I think that the CEOs, the executives of the world, yeah. we're the Vikings. Yeah, We're the ones that are in there that should be chopping each other's heads off and trying to gain the next level. Yep. Not using our employees as pawns I, I to get bother. that. Right? Yeah. Like there, there shouldn't be collateral damage to them. They're right? your soldiers. They're your soldiers. Yeah. At yeah. the end of the day, I'm trying to chop your head off and take over your business. Exactly. And then your people become my people. Exactly. I'm going to take care of them. Yep. You can, you can even stay on board if you want. Yeah. But I just took it over. But I, but right? you're my bitch now. Yeah, that's the way it is. <laughs> that's the way it develops. Yep. And if you don't have that mentality, like I'll, I'll tell you, there's a lot of people out there that want to be at that level that should not be because they don't have that mentality. They don't have that drive, that thirst, that hunger. Or they think everyone's against them. Uh-huh. Yeah. They like you said, they think the people are the the cannon fodder. You mm-hmm. know, and like you said, that's what it takes from a good leader as such yourself is where, like you said, I'm chopping. I'm going after the other execs. I'm going yeah. after the other COOs. Mm-hmm. But yet, whenever I get that, I'm integrating their people and they become my family because I just took their leader. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And I think that's traits of a good leader Yeah. that you don't see much in the business world anymore. Because mm-hmm. a lot of leaders like to vacation out in Maui and leave it, defer everything to someone else. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think it's very admirable about you being so hands-on with your company. Yeah. Something that doesn't happen much anymore. 
It doesn't. No. It doesn't. But, you know, I, I, I attribute a lot of our success to our ability to get out and meet people yeah. and, and be in the trenches. Yeah. Because when when people talk about our successes or our or our failures, I can attribute those directly to our actions. Yeah. We failed because we didn't um, follow through on something. We didn't commit to this. We didn't we didn't push it in the right direction. There was a chink in the armor somewhere. But when we succeeded, it's because we did it. Yeah. We followed through. It was all us. There was nobody out there holding our hand. Nobody came to save us. Nobody said, oh, my God, we love it. We'll make this happen for you. It was all us. Yeah. What's your guys' um, as, as far as the collective, the pet treat or the treat collective? Treat collective. Treat collective, yeah. yeah. Um, what is your, like, 10-year plan? What is your 10-year goals for this company? What do you What do you see in 10 years? Oh, that's a great question. Um, we've been asked that a few times um, from some larger corporations, some you know, hedge fund, you know, capital investment type people. Um, our 10 year plan, cause we're like three years in and I, I truly, I hate saying this out loud. I don't think we're really going to see a lot of success on the spreadsheet on the balance sheet for us until we get past year five. Yeah. And that's just the reality of it. And that's part of it. It is. But I think once we go from, from five to 10, I think we're going to quadruple, uh, if not, if not five, six, seven, 10 X, you know, over what we're doing. Yeah. Um, but at the 10-year plan, we have discussed a couple of different variations of what 10 years looks like for us. If our trajectory is still in a growth pattern and it's still developing, and I will just tell you that I have great partners. Mm. Um, obviously, Jordan's a, a huge integral part of our business because we based our entire story and brand around him, right? Um, I like to think that I'm the brains behind product development. Because I do the formulation yeah. uh, and the the sourcing, the procurement, all that stuff with Jordan, the manufacturing side. Our other partner, Paul, is the brains behind the marketing strategy, the development, the channel, the push, the sales. Um, and collectively, the three of us like make the machine work, right? Mm -hmm. um, but we've discussed like what it would look like to M&A. What's, what's it look like to sell and exit? What's it look like to sell and get integrated? Um, at the end of the day, I know it, it is going to limit our potential suitors in that market, but our goal at the end is to find either an exit or a growth strategy mm -hmm. that allows us to still accomplish our mission contractually. Yeah. So, you know, if we'll say if Blue Buffalo said we want to buy you out, they can buy us out. Yeah. But Just contractually, so you're, we're going to make sure that you have the same shared mission and goals for growth, that you also utilize our nonprofit and our mission as a part of marketing and sales for the industry, because that's what we want. We, yes. we want to make an impact. Yeah. And if, if instead of, you know, focusing a lot of money and efforts on just marketing and sales, let's market and give. Yes. Right. Yeah. And let's give through marketing. Yes. Right. The reality of donating and making an impact is natural marketing. Mm -hmm. So if we can, if we can accomplish those goals, um, and achieve the life goals that we have for ourselves, I think that's the ultimate goal. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's... Jordan always says his goal is to not, he said, I don't want to work and I don't want a job. I want to give. Yeah. So he said, I'm either giving money, I'm giving time, I'm giving resources, or I'm giving opportunity. Yeah. Ideally, he wants to be able to give all four. Yeah. And that's what that, I think we've, Paul and I have made it our mission to put Jordan in a position that his full-time focus is nonprofit work. That's awesome. Because yeah. at the end of the day, I say, we can share your passion but it's not our passion. That's your passion. It's your passion. Exactly. My passion is supporting you. Exactly. And I know that's tough to say. Yeah, but it's true. But it's true. And you I have want to be able to, to support that. that. Yes. Right. 
my mission is to make sure his mission gets accomplished. And that's, that's good that he's got people like that. Yeah. You know, cause like you said, it takes the collective team mm -hmm. and it's, it's a, really the reason we designed the company and the, the nonprofit that way, yeah. because collectively it takes all of us to accomplish one. It takes all of us plus some to accomplish the other. Yeah. And on the nonprofit side, once, once it is to the point where we want it from, you know, from a structure standpoint, yeah. Uh, the goal is actually to partner with other pet industries. Perfect. Is, and say like collectively, the pet industry is making an impact. Yes. Something that's never been done no, before. Never been done. Whether you're donating $1,000 or a million dollars or job opportunities or internships or scholarships, we don't care. You're pioneering a path. You're pioneering a path for someone to change their life. Yeah. And that's all we can ask. That is awesome, man. Yeah. I'm so excited to see where this goes in the next few years. Yeah. You know, I, I, I just, I love your guys' statements. I love your mission. I love everything you guys are about. And, uh, well, if you so, love hearing me talk about it, yeah, listen to Jordan tell it. Oh, I'd love to listen to Jordan tell every time he talks, someone ends up crying. Oh, I'll cry. I guarantee I'll cry. When we, we pitched our business model to target, mm -hmm. um, it went through like a board and it went through all these little advisory groups. And at the very end, it was like, hey, pitch your brand, pitch who you are, and pitch your mission to the executive team. So this was like C-suite and down, mm -hmm. right? And there's like 20 people on this call, and they're all, you know, uh, zoomed in, right? It's yeah. all over the country. <clears throat> and like half these people start bawling. I think I was crying. Yeah. Like at the end of this, I'm just like, oh, my God, like what are we doing? Like yeah. this is crazy. Touching and them. Not only did it touch, but like to us, I think we got emotional because we we had a a multi-billion dollar corporation say we want to be behind this exactly we want to be a part of it yeah and so jordan always tells people target was the first partner with the collective difference because they chose to back us as a brand and they're gonna they're gonna choose to push our brand out there and help us get going mm -hmm. and be the proponent for change for us which means ultimately they're they're creating those partnerships that are going to change lives down the road yeah and it takes that it does and but you know i think what jordan's journey his story i think that's what's that's the key backbone as far as the good intentions of the company mm -hmm. you know and it takes that suffering and knowing that lifestyle to want to make the difference for real yeah cuz you know CEOs can talk about it all day long who they went to a nice college they were rich but at the end of the day if they hadn't lived it they're not going to have that connection to that cause like like a Jordan would that's a hundred percent. Yeah. And we, we, we joke, it's probably not something to joke about, but we joke that, that the reality of his life has created the reality of our business. Yeah. And that's true. Yeah. And it's true. His experience has not only like garnered and fostered, uh, trust, um, and appreciation in the industry, but I think it's really shown not, not only our level of compassion, but the severity of what we really mean and intend to do. Yeah. Because people know it's real. So what's next? Oh, geez. Oh man. Um, I know this is a long podcast, but man, there's just so much information to, to dissect oh, here. And you know, with such an amazing company, I just, I want to make sure the, the viewers understand what kind of company that we're dealing with here and the people behind it and the mission statement behind it and the people, you know, because I don't care who you are, just hearing Jordan's story, hearing what you're trying to do, hearing what the Treat Collective is doing as a collective group. Like, if you can't get behind this, you wouldn't be able to get behind any cause. Right. You know, this yeah. is a, like I've said three times now, it's a human issue. 
Yeah. And the fact that there is a company out here that is pioneering this difference and is putting in the work, the hours, the money, the resources, and the people to accomplish this goal. I think people need to get behind this. People need to support this. People need to put their money where their mouth is and support this company to get it to where we can make that, where you guys can make that big difference you're wanting to make. Yeah. Well, I will tell you that uh, I think in the future there's, we talk about the dreams, right? Yeah. That we have for each other or for ourselves. Um, I know that collectively as a, as a business entity, we want to make a difference, yeah. but I think that Jordan's ultimate passion, and I've heard him talk about it is to build a, like he calls it his legacy center. And he wants to be, he wants to call it the legacy center. And it started around having a basketball court because that was such a big part of our lives growing up. Um, you know, he and I have been friends since he was six and I was 10 and so grew up together. Oh yeah. You guys grew up together on a farm. Yeah. In the middle of nowhere. Shit. Part Missouri. Yeah. You know, like poor, poor Missouri Yeah, in a town where there was more cows on one farm than there were people in the whole town. Yeah. Um, and we were so poor. Uh, my dad was a minister. We grew up super poor, um, that we didn't have enough money to buy a basketball goal. So my dad found a rim, just a rim, and mounted it to the side of a hay barn. And when he first mounted it, he mounted it at eight foot right above the door. And it was that's what we grew up shooting hoops on. Yeah. And then as we got older, he moved it up. And eventually we, you know, eventually did buy a basketball goal. Yeah. But we were little kids shooting hoops on the side of a hay barn, dreaming that. about being Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and Luke Longley and Dennis Rodman, because <laughs> that was our era, oh, yeah. right? We all had the we all had the the posters. We had the dreams. We were going to go to the NBA one day. Um, so basketball was like, you know, it was that like glimmer of hope for us. Yeah. It, was it was an what integral we, part of yeah, what it was. It's, it's yeah. who we were as kids. It's who we are as adults. Um, we still talk trash about NBA players today. <laughs> Because we're like, oh, in my prime, and I'm like, oh, dude, like our prime is different now, man. Yeah, right? Way different. Right? You see, you see the the Steph Curry's or the Kevin yeah, Durant's oh now, and I'm like, when I was my best, <laughs> yeah. my best, wouldn't make a turd on their shoe. I, I couldn't <laughs> have kept up with them on the court, right? Um, but still, basketball, it, it's 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 such a huge part of everybody's life that is in that community that uh, Jordan wants to build a legacy center. He wants it to be around, a, you know, a basketball center. Yeah. But I think ultimate dreams, and we've talked, you know, we, we dream board a lot. We talk about it, um, that we would love to have a pet production facility attached to a homeless shelter, yeah. attached to the legacy center, and yeah. even, even attached to like some variation of a retail facility. Yeah. One big complex. One big complex. And, you know, he's like, we can staff this place with kids that are, that are on the run, that are looking for a home. Give Come them a to place work. to sleep, to shower, to eat, to play, uh, to study, mm -hmm. um, you know, creating those partnerships with, with either private schools or, uh, colleges, um, giving them an opportunity to learn the industry that we love that, yeah. you know, has given us so much opportunity to, to grow and support our families throughout this, you know, the career we've had. Um, but ultimately we, we always say that we want that to be somewhere between Warren County and Franklin County because Warren County is where I live currently. Mm -hmm. Franklin County is where we grew up, but they're neighboring counties to each yeah. other. So still hometown. Still hometown. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the dream and the goal is to have our own facility that either produces or packs or ships or warehouses. Independent. Independently. Um, and it can be, it could start for us, you know, for our business mm -hmm. and it can branch out and do that for other companies, other businesses, other startups. It doesn't matter. Um, but we want it to be 
to be funded and ran by our business and our nonprofit. And we want it to create a, a safe space for kids that are experiencing that, the challenges of homelessness, or um, even in some cases, just, you know, the depravity of, you know, human life, right? Yeah. Um, and be able to give those people not only an opportunity, but hope. I think at the end of the day, if you can hand someone hope on a platter, yeah, doesn't matter what it's hope in, yeah, it can change the outcome of their life. Now they they have something to hope for, right? Yep. And I think that's the ultimate goal is to to make an impact in our our we call it the hometown community. Missouri's always been, um, you know, uh, I, I say a soft spot, but it's it's always been the focus for us. Yeah. We grew up in Franklin County, Missouri. Obviously, I've got a wife and family from Willow Springs. Yep. Um, me and all my brothers went to college in Missouri State and Springfield. Um, Jordan went to college in Kansas City. So it's like every major city in every corner of this state. We Don't want to forget your roots. Yeah. You know, this we, is we what love built it. you. Yeah. Yeah. At, at the worst of times, this is still This is home. still home. Yeah. Absolutely. Jeez. Um, how would people, if they wanted to donate to the non-for-profit or do something for the non-for-profit, what would be a way for them to get a hold of you? Currently? Yes. Um, easiest way is to email myself or Jordan or Paul. Okay. Um, the main email is info at treatcollective.pet. Okay. And I'll have it in the description in the bio of the podcast. I'll, I'll include all that. Yeah. yeah. Our website um, that you can order product off of mm -hmm. um, or get in touch with us is treatcollective.pet. That's a, it's a tough one for to remember. There's no .com. It's okay. .pet. .pet. Yeah. P-E-T. Okay. Um, but we just revamped our website. We're uploading new um, reviews and new testimonials from veterinarians, from dog trainers from all kinds of people across the country. Um, and then very shortly, we're going to have our fully functioning uh, website for the nonprofit, which will actually be something that, that people can go to select a donate or how to help, how to make an impact, um, that can also be shared and circulated around. Um, but that is through uh, the collective difference. Okay. So and that's the non nonprofit, nonprofit right? yeah. is collective difference. Mm -hmm. okay. And that'll be listed. It's on, it's listed on our packaging and our bags right now, okay. but it'll be listed on our website shortly as well with a direct link over to kind of a founder story and um, kind of a little bit more about Jordan, the story, the run, uh, you know, the efforts that he's been putting in for a long, cause this isn't, this might be a new business for us, mm -hmm. but Jordan's, this has been a mission of his for a long time. Yeah. You know, over 10, 12, this isn't 12 13 him. years. Yeah. yeah. And uh, where, where, uh, what all stores or locations can your uh, your product be bought? Currently, yeah, Rural King, Target, Rayleigh's, um, but we are working with um, some huge distributors right now um, that service farm and fleet stores mm -hmm. and hardware stores. Okay, so we're we're hoping to be in like Ace Hardware um, is a is a target for us. We want to be in Ace. We want to be in Tractor Supply. For us, that would be a big one. That to, would be to be in the community here. Yeah, um, I would love to have a conversation with Walmart. Because Walmart's everywhere. Yeah. And Walmart puts, they have a great pet aisle. They're they're always changing and developing their products. They're really, really, I would say from a math standpoint, they're way ahead of the curve of getting great quality products at good prices on the shelf. Mm -hmm. And that's always been kind of a mantra of ours is that we want to be the intersection of quality and value. Yeah. So we want to be the best product on the shelf, but we don't want it to be the most expensive. Exactly. We want to be there at a at a at affordable price that allows people to say, like, hey, I, I feel good about buying these treats, but it's still within budget that I can do it and not I feel like I'm breaking the bank. And you, know? you guys focus real heavily on like what you put on in your treats and absolutely. Yes. Our treats are hundred percent natural. Um, actually, as a matter of fact, I know we talked about being launched in target, mm -hmm. but before we were even on the shelf, we qualified and got a certification that they call target clean certified. Okay. So target actually has to read all your ingredients. They have to verify all those ingredients. They have to look at your spec sheets, all your 
manufacturing processes. They look through, they like rip you apart yeah. internally. And then only then they give you the little stamp. So like if you go to Target, it has like a little Target emblem on the logo, mm -hmm. uh, like on the tag. Yeah. And it says Target Clean Certified. So there, there's not a lot of products that are like that. That's but, something to be pretty proud of then. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So yeah, I think for us, the next the next steps would be uh, Tractor Supply, it'd be Walmart. Um, and I say Walmart because, you know, people are like, oh, you know, Walmart's, they're big box. Yeah. But our mission is big box. Exactly. Our, our mission is to be everywhere. You've got to be there. And and to, you know, not just bring value to the retailers, because we are, we're a great treat, mm -hmm. we're a great company, great brand. Um, but the goal is to make as much money as possible so we can help as many people as possible. Exactly. And it's, we've always said that we can't be in a niche um, retail environment that limits how much growth we can have because then it limits how many people we can help. Yeah. You've got to explode. Yeah. You've got to be explosive to yeah. give explosiveness. Absolutely. Yeah. So that would be a, I know. Have, have you guys thought about like Amazon or anything like that? Yeah. We're actually going through some, some different Amazon stuff right now. Okay. Um, to try to get on, we, we were on Amazon through a, like a, a listed like, seller. Yeah. Somebody was reselling for us. Um, it wasn't done to the best of the ability. Right. Yeah. So it didn't get a lot of traction. Um, but yeah, it's a big, e-com's a big focus for us. We'd love to be on Chewy because mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of people that buy from Chewy and just have it yeah. shipped to their house. But the bigger, the better for us. Yeah. You know, obviously. Um, I mean, you want to impact a lot of lives. Yeah. And the is, only way to do that is to make money like we spoke about earlier. Yeah. Yeah. The only way to do it is to be on as many shelves as possible and get in as many homes as possible. I love it, man. Yeah. Um, so where uh, we got your, uh, let's see, we went over your website, uh, social media links. We have them. We I have couldn't em. tell you what they all are, okay. but we're on, we're you, on TikTok. We're you can on, send them to me and I'll put them in the bio. Yep, You're on TikTok? TikTok, Instagram, uh, Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, are there any other ones? LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Yeah, all that stuff. We're all of them. Yeah. Well, guys, uh, this is the podcast. Uh, please reach out. Uh, if you guys find it in your heart to donate or to give uh, to the treat collect or to the collective Collective, collective difference, difference. Yeah, to the collective difference. difference sorry um please reach out to them uh, at their email um buy their products let's help these guys grow get big so they can touch the lives of all these homeless kids and actually make a difference like they want to and they're well on their way so any help that you guys can give is greatly appreciated uh have anything else before we wrap up here no man i think it's been awesome thanks no. for having me on the show cheers man this was a good podcast i cheers. hope to see you again soon absolutely anytime yeah bye-bye We did it. That was a good one. That was a good one, man. That's good. <laughs>